Hang on. Hang on. Right. This might be a podcast. This might be a podcast. It might be great. It might be guest. It might be a big, big mess. Podcast popping in your Welcome to This Might Be a Podcast. This is the song by song podcast about the greatest band of all time. They might be giants. I'm your host, Greg Simpson, and I'm here with first time guest Brian Haig to talk about two songs, Counterfeit Fake and Counterfeit Faker, off of, I guess, Dial a Song or the Zen compilation and freshly released, or I guess, pre ordered on final Long Tall Weekend. out i think the vinyl will be out have you pre-ordered long tall weekend brian it shipped today it shipped today okay yeah nice i will be getting it eventually currently it is currently i've bought too many t-shirts and vinyl and all they might be giant stuff that i want now is on a wish list i also want that fingertips shirt that uh david uh coles Coles. Coles. yeah david coles because it's awesome. It's like one of those They Might Be Giant shirts where it's, it's kind of a typical thing for them where it's like, we don't put the band name on the shirt or like no. it just says they or something, you know, like, which I think is great. Because it's like, how how much more can you show someone that you're a dork than like you see someone with a They Might Be Giant shirt and you're like, it's the Flood logo and it says They Might Be Giant. You're like, hey, you're a They Might Be Giant fan. But it's a whole other level if it's like, oh, I know that sequence of draw- little drawings. <laughs> I know what that is. So how's it going, right? It's going great. I'm very happy to be here with you today. I've uh, been listening for a long time, waiting for this moment through uh, <laughs> year, what two years and various life changes and world changes, and here we are. Yeah, it's just like another one of those moments of um, how could I have done this to you situations. Oh, no, not at all. I could have emailed at any moment. (laughs) Uh, You even signed up post uh, me figuring out that I need to put dates on the spreadsheet 
because I have you here for counterfeit faker listed as a Patreon subscriber and that reserved that song April 30th, 2021. I go on this string of episodes where I'm like, I, I'm just like scouring the spreadsheet. I'm like, who have I forgotten? Who have I forgotten? Damn it, there's one. Okay, there's another one. Damn it. And then it's like, I have a string of episodes where it's like people where I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Especially for a patron, like as one person, it's one thing for a person to be waiting on the spreadsheet, having reserved it, but you are a supporter of the podcast in, in, in a whole other level. With all my heart. Yeah, that was right when you had you had signed up for the Patreon is when you uh, when I hit you up to uh, pick a song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so for I, two I, years can... you've been you've been a Patreon subscriber. So thank you. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank you for this this beautiful masterpiece of <laughs> hundreds of hours you've created. Well, you've also got uh, some merch coming. Let me show you, actually, to, to in some small way make up for this. Uh, Abby Bash uh, has sent over Ooh. the new artwork, and you're the first one outside of... I showed it to the covers crew, right? They're like the VIPs, too. So you are uh, outside the covers crew, the first one to see this art. Let's see. This is going to be the art for... It originally started as a coffee mug design, which will be happening. A very small run. Like, only for patrons that want one and will use it. Like, I'm, you know, like, I'm going to... Yeah. So, if you, if you want one. Um, but it's also... It came out so great. It's going to be the cover, the front and back of the upcoming charity compilation. And probably also the front and back of a t-shirt. So, what we have here, the concept... Let me see if this looks all right. Okay, so here's me. Oh, and I'm I'm talking about it's almost like the fingertips thing. There's various they might be giants, uh, little related doodles, and then then there's the Johns who have finally decided to come on the show and are horrified uh, and instantly regret their choice to come on the show. So, that, <laughs> so yeah, you can see that. So yeah, so I'm very casual and happily like, TBP, and it's got. Yeah, the the snowman. It's got uh, ABC. It's got a spider. It's got an ampersand. It's got the whale. I guess it's M squid. It's got the whale. It's got a cup of coffee. And then the Johns and Flansburg's cat is there, also yeah. wearing headphones. I don't know if you saw it. I, I'm sure my yeah. cat will will join the call at any moment. <laughs> and yeah, and above their heads, you got the uh, accordion keys, the Mojo Chessmaster, the stick, a big bass drum, and they're both just scared. Of what they've gotten themselves into. And I'm like, heavy, because like I gave her the concept was came pretty quickly. And it's like, how about the Johns come on the show and they're horrified? Like that's the concept. And that that was all that I gave her. And she just comes up with something red, like every time. So as a patron, I know I'll cut out a lot of that that doesn't really maybe make sense to people, but maybe by the time this episode airs in three weeks or so, I'll have something like more concrete visually to post to the socials. But yeah, so the original concept was like a yellow mug with green ink or some sort of like flood type colors where it's me on the one side of the mug and then the John's on the other side of the mug. But I'm like, this needs to be the compilation artwork. Like, this is too awesome. It's got to go on a CD for us old people. 
How Did This Not Get Made is a podcast all about the films and TV shows that never got made. In this podcast, we uncover the history of these intellectual properties and walk you through the plot of these unmade scripts to determine if they would have been great or awful. Here's just a few other titles that we've covered. The Beatles' Lord of the Rings, James Cameron's Spider-Man, Guillermo del Toro's Haunted Mansion, Star Wars' Duel of the Fates, Superman Lives starring Nicolas Cage, James Gunn's R-rated Scooby-Doo, and Alejandro Jodorowsky's Dune, just to name a few. Episodes of How Did This Not Get Made can be found wherever you get your your podcasts. You're a physical media collector. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Much much to my uh, my detriment, the house is filling up with with, you know, I've been collecting records since I was, you know, 12 cuz they were 50 cents and a dollar and I didn't have any money. Yeah. And I could get music. And I got totally hooked and so now they're way much they're way much more money than that. But now CDs are cheap. I'm filling up the house with CDs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a uh, seven-foot-tall, six-foot-wide CD shelf that I built about five years back (laughs) with room to grow into still. And I don't buy CDs at at the rate that I did before. I still buy used ones on occasion if I find them. You know, it's funny. Like, stuff still happens to where physical media could come in handy or also be just superior but just a small example, yesterday, like we had a little power outage, like a little flicker during the night, and then our internet was all like weird the whole rest of the day yesterday. And uh, my daughter's obsessed with the new uh, The Muppet Babies on <laughs> Disney Plus, which is adorable and funny and has great music. But I couldn't get Disney Plus to load up, kept giving me the weird screen. You know, I tried restarting the modem, still didn't, or the router, and it still didn't uh, work. So I'm like, okay, how about. The Muppets movie on DVD. <laughs> yes. Success. Excellent. Day was saved by physical media. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've always suspected that I'm going to live through an apocalypse. And so I need to have all the physical media. Yes. Oh, yeah. So I can continue to entertain myself in mm-hmm. the in the wasteland. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. People are coming to like club me and eat my bones. I can like chuck CDs at them and slice them up. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know. We had confusion uh, for the listeners. We had confusion about uh, time zones and uh, this recording. And you know, we're doing it now. It's all good. But where, where are you? Are you in Seattle? I'm in Seattle, Washington. Okay. And other than that, who are you? I don't know. Yeah, it looks like any day you as a friend on Facebook. You said you're only kind of on Facebook, and it says works at stand up comedy. Proper noun. Oh, that was. I'm very barely on Facebook. I haven't really done stand-up in a few years now. Yeah. Was it a COVID-era uh, thing? Kind of just that got was off of it? certainly part of it. And also, it just the scene got kind of gross, which just happens sometimes. Mm. You know, there was... Yeah. Uh, for those who really follow stand-up comedy closely, uh, many years ago, there was sort of this controversy that there were, there were all these misogynists and mm-hmm. race racist and in, in stand-up comedy and lindy west who also lived in seattle washington at the time wonderful friendly lady wrote a lot of articles about this and she had a point and people that that were a little bad like really reacted to that and went way mm-hmm. worse and just mm-hmm. became awful and of a course. whole bunch of people saw these articles and said hey i'm awful stand-up comedy is the place for me God, why? Oh, my God. It's like the whole vibe of our fucking country at this point. It's like everything is so 
you gotta pick a side. Like, can we not just like think for ourselves? Like, do you really have to react so strong? Like, obviously, you know, we know there's a correct side to be on in this particular manner, uh, matter. But like, why would you feel the need to like? Maybe if you're like, okay, well, I don't identify as a feminist. Like, only women can be feminists, or like some nonsense that someone like that would say. Yeah. Okay, fine. Maybe you just don't understand what the word feminism actually means or whatever, but maybe you're not all that bad. No, I am bad. I'm going to fully jump to this side of the dial and just, like, go all in. Like, I feel like people have, like, the extremism in, like, every topic. I mean, hell, it could be music or something, and people just feel the need to troll or, like, just get into arguments about everything from important topics to not important topics everyone is just like uh, i don't know am i wrong here is that i mean you get that feeling people have to find a way to give themselves meaning i mean we used to have like family and religion and community we don't have any of that stuff anymore so we gotta pick something (laughs) these are the three demons you must slay to succeed in business yeah i i find that it's best to really dump yourself into stuff that you know is not important at all you know, like they might be giants and Zelda or whatever. <laughs> I love that was the second thing. I've heard that new Zelda's pretty good. Is that why you got Zelda on the brain? Yep, yep. I I'm deep in. I'm uh, <laughs> on a vacation in Hyrule. <laughs> yeah, I you know, yeah, I haven't even touched a Nintendo Switch yet. I'm I don't have a lot of super gamer friends, but just reading about that like took me back. I'm like, oh man. Yeah. That, that sounds like a lot of fun. It is. It is definitely a lot of fun. And I got, I got a Switch at launch with Breath of the Wild, the for the previous Zelda game, and played a ton of that. Yeah. And I haven't really played a lot in recent years, just games in general. Yeah. But but this definitely has me uh, back on the grind. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, it's like teaching seventh and eighth grade, like, well, and just kids in general, like. But 7th and 8th graders are a little more, uh, like, you're starting to find your taste a little bit and not just, like, what your friends like or, like, what's popular or what your parents like. There are, like, you know, they're starting to be, like, the gamer kids. And, like, some of them ask, will ask me, like, oh, what games do you play? I'm like, ah, I'll play Skate 3 on PS3, <laughs> you know, like, <No. laughs> you know, or, like, yeah, or, you know, uh, I'll bust out the N64 to play, uh, you know, the original Tony Hawk Pro Skaters and some Goldeneye. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Well, I guess Tony Hawk Pro Skater came back to the front since they, like, remastered them or whatever they called them. Yeah, I haven't played that at all. I played a lot of the old ones, uh, you know, a couple of decades ago. But Yeah, I haven't tried the new ones either. But they sound like they're pretty cool. There's, there's a podcast about... Uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater that just started. It's through the hard times, the comedy site. Okay. Comedy site. They've had a couple uh, skate-related podcasts because one of the guys who's, I don't know, some head editor or something there is a skater. And, like, they had this old this this uh, older podcast called Vert Button, which was, like, a classic skate video rewatch podcast, and I loved it. Uh, and they kind of shelved that, I guess. And now he's doing this thing about Tony Hawk Pro Skater, which, like, oh, cool, we're talking about the game. Episode one, Tony Hawk is the guest. Like, the Hard Times has some pull. Like, and the second episode was Jamie Thomas, my favorite skater from, from high school, or, or top three at least. But, like, those games were big, big for me. And it's, 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 it's crazy how you can find podcasts about anything these days. 
as we as we sit here waiting to talk about uh i guess two songs by one band on this very niche podcast which i'm so lucky to have found a lot of people uh, are, are are into this niche absolutely <laughs> i don't think there's a podcast with more talented fans than you have i'm i'm not one of them but you know abby bash's art and all these covers and it's tremendous that so many people love to contribute in this way and you have no trouble finding people to come on and talk and you know case in point is how long people sit on the spreadsheet <laughs> like yeah i have the opposite problem like i remember seeing like an onion article or something about like thousands of u.s podcasts searching <laughs> for next week next week's guests or something like that and like that's not me like i'm like trying to keep track of when people have hit me up and i'm like like it got it was fairly early on in the show where i'm like i don't know if vetting is the right word but like people who i didn't already know or weren't in some way kind of connected to the podcast already or like a patreon subscriber who i knew was serious about it like be like because i used to just be like oh you like they might be giant sure come on the show and I mean, it's not that that's like gone bad in any way. Like there's been some like horrible thing happened because I, there was someone I didn't know well enough to put on the show, but more just like, I have so many people that want to be on it and I don't like, I don't necessarily turn people away, but like, I usually like to find out a little bit about them before I say yes. Not that I'm saying no, but I'd be like, oh yeah, what are you, uh, you know, what are you, what are you into? Blah, 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 blah. It's a a good problem to have, I guess. And like I'm always saying, I I did not intend for this podcast to be a way to like meet cool people all over the world because like the people I was talking to at first were my actual real life friends. But I mean, I don't think we were even into the double digits of the podcast before I was talking to you know Abby from. In England, and uh, my first Australian guests, I think Matt uh, was my first Australian guest, and people just all over the U.S. and stuff, and I'm like, man, this is fun. Like, it's just a lot of fun. Getting to know you then, what what do you do uh, since you don't work at the horribleness that is the Seattle uh, comedy scene anymore? Well, there are lots of wonderful and delightful people oh, sure, sure, in sure. the Seattle comedy scene, and, uh, you know, that was there were certainly other reasons why I moved on personal stuff and all that but that being said i've been working in human resources for a while now mostly at nonprofits here in seattle oh cool which is an exciting exciting trip in its own you know it's yeah. a it's a very strange world i mean work is a strange world anyway it's it's really fake people would never arrange themselves into the structure you have to to work <laughs> at a job it's, nobody was not natural you know yeah, no, it's, it's a completely unnatural thing. Nobody would ever decide to do that. <laughs> Be a, in human resources? Or no, no, I mean, work a job. Right. You know, you know, have a corporate structure and, you know, oh, this person will be the CEO and we'll have all these direct. No, it's yeah. it's a silly way to go about things. But, you know. We... Bus business in general, like big businesses, like you're working for nonprofits and stuff. And I imagine some of them, uh, some of them are big business. They're just. Not, yeah. you know, a tur turning a profit, blood money type businesses. So that's cooler. But still, like the hierarchy, yeah, like the, like the, I don't know, it's weird. Being a guy who now has an LLC, <laughs> this might be an LLC. You know, my employees, Saverin and Ben, now they're, they're board members that just donate their time to helping me make decisions. 
but yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess being a teacher has been kind of different, whereas I'm not, it's a lot clearer to people like, okay, there's the principal, maybe some assistant principals, and then like the teachers, yeah, you know, and maybe like their seniority might have some thing or other to do, depending on how unionized and how uh, organized a, a school is. But it's pretty clear to people like, it, and I like being able to say, people are like, oh, what do you do? I'm a music teacher. Oh, I know what that is. Whereas like some people are like, I'm the assistant executive to the vice president of the making of widgets. And I don't know what that yeah, means. Yeah, exactly. Well, these these hierarchical structures are kind of borrowed from military. That's where we first came up with this. And then when we dreamed up capitalism, we're like, well, that's an idea. We'll do this hierarchy thing. Right. And if you talk to people that are really familiar with the military, they will say that the military structure is really effective in war, in crisis. Mm -hmm. But in peacetime, it's kind of a disaster. And so in, in business or in nonprofits or anything with this hierarchical structure, you have to keep coming up with crises <laughs> to justify the whole thing. Uh -huh. And in nonprofits, it's its own weird world. You know, we're, we're all trying to do our best. And sometimes we're ridiculous and sometimes we're not. But we try. I tell people when they ask about human resources, I, I tell them to imagine I just said that I work in the Department of Natural Resources. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, we're, yeah. you know, we're there to cut down the forest and get the trees. But we will tell people you can't burn down the forest. You can't store nuclear waste there because we need those trees. <laughs> uh -huh. We need to make sure those trees are going to yeah. be there. But we're there to cut down the trees. So the humans are the resource. <sighs> Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, but but again, working in a school, like I know what human resources means because it's usually like they're the person you talk to when you get hired. They're kind of helping you with the paperwork or whatever. People in that department, you know, are, are getting you all set with your tax documents. I mean, there's various more specialized positions within it. And we do, you know, we do benefits. We help when there's, you know, employee relations issues. If you're having problems with your boss or you're having problems with a coworker, we work with unions. We do all sorts of things. But the point is, is that we want people to work. And like we're doing all the things around it to get people to work. And, you know, working in nonprofits, I've definitely worked with employees that thought that I was their caseworker. Yep. <laughs> And it's just not my role. <laughs> I can, I want to help. I really do want to help. That's why I like the job. But there's only so much I can do. Like referring to like, oh, my boss is doing this. And then my boss is doing this. Or it's like I'm having this problem at home. And it's like, well, here's some resources. But in terms of. <laughs> here's know, some human resources. I, well, no, I mean, you know, yeah, here's yeah. the employee assistance program. Here's how you get in touch with a, a therapist through our medical plan or whatever it is. But it's it's not. The same as though, you know, I'm somebody's, this is what caseworkers do, where they actually, right. you know, kind of work 360 with people to try and get them on the right track. It's a much narrower focus. Yeah. I mean, I know what human resources is, and I can't believe I haven't made a memo to human resources joke yet, but. <laughs> they they played that the, uh, when I saw them a few weeks ago here in Seattle, and it just, it was amazing. I didn't think I'd ever hear that one live, but it was yeah. it was fabulous. Yeah, it's one of those I've mixed feelings on, and I won't go back into it. Then it's one of the <laughs> well, it's it's one of those middling spine tracks. 
<laughs> Moving on. We need to know your Team VG fandom story. Oh, all right. Well, uh, way back in the uh, the early 1990s, I lived in Indiana, Pennsylvania, which is a very small town, home of Jimmy Stewart. But for what? this story, the important part is it's the home of Indiana University of Pennsylvania. And so I was, you know, a junior high kid, 12, 13 or whatever. And I was a weird kid. For whatever reason, various college students took pity on me and okay. took me under their wing and, you know, sh showed me a good time, uh, tried to tell me what was cool, tried to keep me on a uh, reasonably straight and narrow, you know. And uh, one of them, Scott Burkholder, was particularly kind to me. One of the many things he did was he lent me Flood by the Amoeba Giants. It's like, you'll like this. Was, you know, it was the al the alternative music era. I was... yeah dabbling in these things i was already a big nirvana fan that's what i was gonna ask what, what year we were talking yeah it would have been 93 i want to say somewhere in there mm -hmm. and then you know so i made my cassette a flood and eventually uh got a copy of my own for free from bmg or columbia house or whatever for uh eight cds for a penny oh yeah yeah I'm, i still I'm, owe those guys money They'll never find me. <laughs> yeah, and not to get on too much of a tangent in the middle of your story here, but like I've, there've there've been plenty of people who've brought that up. It's like flood being something they got for a penny off of that, and then you know just just being hooked. Or for you, for, you, you heard it ahead of time. But yeah, because I feel like it was that kind of thing where like in this day and age, if there was some sort of scheme, like it almost seems like you'd be ripped off a lot more. Whereas somehow we made off. We, pretty well with like amount of CDs per, you know, uh, 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 compared to what we actually ended up paying those people. Like, I feel like we made out like a net positive. Like we actually did get a good deal. I mean, right? Yeah, I, a lot of folks did. I think that uh, mostly what the scheme was is that then they just start sending you a CD every month if you didn't return the postcard and they charged like $19 a CD when right. regular price you know, paying full price for a CD was $15. Mm -hmm. But it was a way to get some stuff they didn't have in the local store. Now, I certainly yeah. was no getting Apollo 18 or factory showroom or certainly not Lincoln or they might be giants that way. Yeah. But, you know, I was visiting the, the, the few CD stores in town frequently and digging through the used bins. And as it was a college town, a lot of interesting stuff did come through. And, you know, over the years, I I remember John Henry being new mm -hmm. and I I got it. I definitely got it before Factory Showroom came out and Factory Showroom. I bought the first time I saw it in a store, which was a Sears. Sears. Oh, man. Sears sold CDs. Yeah. Sears sold CDs and they might be giant CDs at that. Wow, man. Yeah, because I guess they did sell pretty much everything. Sears was a department store. Yeah. Wow. I don't know if I ever bought a CD at a Sears. We definitely bought stuff at a Sears, but wow. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, they were, they might be giants were the, the first band that like I drove into the city to see. By then I lived in Northern Colorado and I was like 17 and drove by myself into Denver to see them at the Bluebird Theater. Uh, and then I saw them like three more times in the next year because they came to Colorado a lot in that those days for some reason. Huh. The Lodo Music Fest, which they played like two of the next three years, which was in lower downtown Denver. And uh, I saw a lot of great bands at that festival. I saw the Violent Femmes, who are another of my favorite bands. 
discovered uh, Bear Jr. It was Bobby Bear Jr.'s band at the time. Mm. Indigo Girls and Reverend Horton Eat were playing at the same time. And you could not hear the Indigo Girls no matter how close the stage was. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like me trying to hear like a one of Yola Tango's softer songs at the first Pitchfork Festival when the the like dance music DJ tent was like just like a uh, hundred yards away. Do 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 do. I'm like, God damn it! <laughs> yeah, some bands make for a better festival experience than others. So you've seen them how many times total? I think like not 10 at this point after okay. having just seen them twice you know i saw them a lot you know in the late 90s early 2000s and then only once for a lot of years yeah janine which did she talk about uh marty beller mask oh uh, yeah yeah Jean was marty beller mask yeah, yeah yeah and she's up in that area too she's also in this area she talked about uh how they played the uh sodok or showbox soto quite a bit for years and this is not a good you know not a great venue kind of chased me away yes. so you're in agreement there yeah. yeah and and i just i wasn't as, as focused on music for a period of time you know what doing comedy and personal uh, stuff and buying up old video games like a crazy person so i was still buying every they might be giants album as it came out but i wasn't the mainline albums i wasn't buying I, I didn't know about the stuff that was only available through the site uh, yeah. or whatever, the, the compilation mm -hmm. albums. And since I've picked all those up, but those are the things that I, that I love the most. I love the weirder stuff, the stranger stuff. I mean, I love all of it, but it's the avant-garde off offbeat. They might be giant stuff that has always warmed my heart the most. Yeah. There is plenty to fly under the radar with this band. That is for sure. And Another thing I've I've brought up on the show is just how often I've come across a song that I've never heard before. And I'm like, how is that still happening? Like, I've considered them my favorite band, and I've known about them for 30 years now. Yeah, I've known about them for 30 years now. That's probably, yeah, yeah this year I think would be the 30th anniversary of my fandom. Yeah, I think we're we're right together there. I've just heard, like, this episode hasn't, you haven't heard this episode yet, but it will have aired before this. I had just talked to, yeah, Bird of the Bee of the Moth. Uh, I was talking about with with this dude, Josh Pilch. We're talking about, there's this author where this guy has open source, like, lyrics, like song lyrics. He's, he's a he's a author, but has basically been, like, writing lyrics. And, like, I'm not a songwriter, but I'm writing lyrics. Have Adam, you know, anyone can take these song lyrics and use them. Mm -hmm. And John Linnell used them for a song called Second Longest Night. It's just a random solo Linnell track. It's not credited as a TMBG. It's not something he's released on any sort of physical media. It's just like a random John Linnell song. And I'm like, I've never heard this before. Like, how have I never heard this? And it's from, it's from 15 years ago. You know, it's from way back. Like, I'm like, how... I was not even aware of this song. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a little track we're going to talk about today called Live Like Pigs that I, is not really a song, but is a track. Is a It's on the wiki. It's got a page on the wiki I had never heard before. Uh, we'll discuss that when we get to it. I, I heard it for the first time today. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll get to that. So um, so your, your fandom never fully wavered, but there were um, moments where you weren't 
as fully uh, deep in the dorkiness of uh, Team BG uh, culture. Would that be correct? Yeah, and I wasn't going to the show every time they came to town, which now that seems crazy. I'm I'm <laughs> furious with myself that three, you know, two years ago when tickets went on sale, I didn't buy tickets for Portland and Vancouver too. So. <laughs> I mean, for you guys that where they come to your region regularly, you know, I mean Seattle. I mean, anytime they're coming to the West Coast, they're hitting Seattle, right? I mean. No, for the most part. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'm not sure if they might be giants have ever just left off Seattle and just done, you know, Portland and South or even San Francisco and South. But it does happen with bands a lot where they just. Right. Like a California only. It's uh Yeah. It's an effort. There's yeah. There's a lot of punk bands where it's like, oh, we'll just play California. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like I'm, oh, I'm so mad. I f- fucked up and and blew it on hives tickets the hives are finally are you a hives fan uh i wouldn't go that far i enjoy the hives they are fucking amazing and anyone who thinks otherwise just needs to listen to them more because they're so good and like their their heyday and popularity like vini vidi vici their uh second album is good it's well it's amazing but it's not their best stuff. Like they only got better and their albums got further and further apart. They had kids and all this and like touring got further and further apart. They're from Sweden. So they're finally coming out with a new album. They announced a tour all over Europe, all over Europe, three U S states, two in LA, one in New York. And I'm like, God damn it. And then all of a sudden they announced one in Chicago and I'm on like the fan club mailing list or whatever. So I get the thing to the presale by the time I click it, we got in the evening. The next morning, I click it. Pre-sale sold out. Like, like, oh god damn it! And then I'm talking to my friends and stuff. They're like, oh, that's just the you know, it's just the pre-sale. You know, the stuff goes on sale 10 a.m. on Friday. 10 a.m. on that Friday, I had an alarm set on my phone. Didn't I know? Had my phone somewhere else. Didn't have it vibrate. Whatever. Didn't feel it. And then two hours later, got on there. Already sold out. Oh so no! I'm missing them in Chicago, and they're playing at a venue that's way too small for them place called the bottom lounge that outdoor velour has played at like it was way too big for us but it's way too small for the hives way too small and when i saw them in 2012 best show i've ever seen like team bg puts on a fantastic show but the one time i saw the hives in chicago i reviewed it for punk news 10 out of 10 greatest fucking thing like if you just look up uh, a video of them doing tick tick boom live anywhere the uh, shtick that they were doing for a couple years after that particular album came out in 2007. Yeah, anyway, the song that the album was on, they do this whole thing with the crowd. They make the whole crowd sit down, mm-hmm. like in the middle of the song. And they did it at the Riviera where I saw them. But then I saw a video clip recently of them doing it at the Reading Festival. Oh, wow. And he, he makes like a thousand people sit on the dirt. And he will like not continue the song until everyone sits down. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 no. Don't get up. You're ruining it for everybody. Wait, wait until I tell you to get up. Just like the way he commands the crowd. He's like a carnival barker. He's like some sort of crazy, you know, Mick Jagger, you know, Johnny Rotten carnival barker type, whatever. Some weird combination of just like the greatest like elements of like a front man. Like yeah. a lot of bands you see, you're like, that guy could be playing an instrument. Like, what's he doing just singing? 
he could be doing something else. You know, like get you know, get a keyboard there. But he's like out in the crowd with like the longest cable I've ever seen. Like, you know, he's someone doesn't like a wireless because he wants to be able to swing it around. He's out in the crowd and the the roadies and the security are like stringing this cable behind him as he's walking far like into this channel between the crowd and like taking selfies with people. He's like, no, no, sit back down. So it's like, it's one song. It's like a three, three, three and a half minute song. It's a nine minute video of them doing that song, but it's just like the greatest thing ever. And when he finally, like the song builds back up and he's like, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. And you just see this ocean of people just like explode. It's just like the, man, it was amazing when I saw it at a 2000 cap venue. And this was like, this was like several more thousand people than that. It was bonkers. It's got to be tens of thousands at the Reading. Yeah, it was, it was insane. Like for him to be able to command that type of audience, like their hubris and their ego is like part of the shtick. Like, oh yeah. Like it's like you, this morning you may have thought you hated the fucking hives, but tomorrow morning you will wake up and say, I love the fucking hives and they're the greatest band. Like, you know, it's like shit like that. It's like, uh, it's so good. And TMBG comes at it from a whole other angle. Like their, you know, their live show is not like that at all, but equally Mm -hmm. uh, as, you know, fun and, and, and captivating. Like that's not their, that's not their vibe at all. They're a much more modest group of individuals, but also hilarious. There are times when Flansburg will, will really tell you what to do. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, like the apes, you know. Everybody conga. Right. <laughs> I'm not fucking kidding. Yeah, or like the the, the humans and apes. Yeah, that there are quite a few occasions where he will make the crowd do uh something fun. Yeah. But what's funny about the, that thing with the hives, like I had no idea it was ha- it was going to happen when he was telling us to sit down. I'm like, what is this? Like I didn't know the, the the whole uh, deal that he was doing it at every show, and when you know when Pele Omquist told the whole crowd to sit down, I was like, ah, he's just gonna move on. Like I don't know if I sat down immediately. It might have been the second time he said to sit sit down that I sat down. But he's like berating people. He's like, everybody, flip off that person. They're not sitting down. And everyone's like, boo, like booing that person. And they're just like, fine. <laughs> So it was like a whole other thing. Like he didn't explain like why why am I making you sit down? I'm not telling you yet. You will find out. It's just incredible. And uh yeah, the hives are amazing and I've been listening to them constantly and their new uh single is fucking incredible. Like they have no business being so good this late into their career as elder Swedish statesmen. So you're f- to get back into what the show's supposed to be about. So I believe we're up to kind of like the present day with your fandom. Yeah. And you are back into the depths of the fandom. Has the, I am has the, has the, the podcast depth. helped you at all get back into the depths thoroughly? Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, the podcast helped me get back into music in general in a big way. I think I might have discovered Discogs through the podcast. Okay. Yeah. Which is, is really just ruining my life in a major <laughs> way. But in a, my apologies. In a really lovely way. And I've I we were talking about how much they might be giant stuff there is. And I really feel for folks that are that are just getting into they might be giants in the last few years. I've become a residence fan in the last few years. Uh, uh-huh. Becoming a they might be giants fan is nothing. There is so much residence stuff. Oh yeah. Wow. Videos and DVDs and records and singles and internet only stuff that it, 
it's it's maddening and uh <laughs> you know it it i gotta get, keep getting out of bed every day so i can listen to music i haven't heard yet <laughs> i know it's like we were talking i guess that was before the episode officially started about daniel johnston cassettes and uh you know just getting stuff on weird media just because it's like the way that makes sense for that particular artist or that particular release or whatever i mean full-on music nerds it's so it's so funny talking to like normal people you know who wants to be normal that's boring but like where people are like not only like what music are you into like people at your job like when they when they ask you like oh well what kind of stuff do you listen to what do you tell them do you like get down to it or are you just like rock music <laughs> I don't talk. I don't. I, Only in a caseworker type situation. I'm, I'm not a very sharing personal person at work. I mean, I'm I'm friendly and I'm polite, but I don't talk about myself at work at all. I don't. You know, that's a character I play. I dress in a way that I never dress. Oh, I hear that's, that too. Like that's this, just something this, else at work. Yeah, the school I'm at now, it's like it's showbiz. The kids uh, see me in like my teacher clothes. Yeah, I'm wearing like a polo or a button up and like khakis or some sort of you know like jeans on fridays like that kind of thing you know and then all of a sudden like december or something some kid finds my instagram or facebook or something and the photo of me is skateboarding like a really cool looking picture what my friends took and they're like you skateboard i'm like yeah they're like no you don't I'm like i have since 1987 i mean what do you you know what you think that's photoshopped or what i'm like what do you want and so like these last two weeks like you know, our principal's like, everyone can dress casual. And, like, so I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm going all out. I'm wearing shorts. Like, I'm wearing, like, my Bart Simpson socks. I'm wearing, like, you know, my, my bright purple skate shoes and stuff. And Yeah. Yeah, and kids like, whoa, what are you wearing? I'm like, this is how I normally look. I'm sorry. You know, what you've been seeing has been a facade. Teacher clothes. So the, the, the TMBG fandom, I think most people, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't speak for most people. Most fans, I guess. I would think that most people have heard Counterfeit Fake. Oddly, I think Counterfeit Fake is the more uh, well-known song in the fandom than Counterfeit Faker because of its inclusion on Counterfeit Fake. That is, this is all going to get very confusing. Counterfeit Fake's inclusion on the then two CD compilation. And maybe that's just for people more our age. I think it because we couldn't, you know, when we were getting into They Might Be Giants... I didn't ever see, I didn't know They Might Be Giants or Lincoln existed. I mean, I knew there were albums before, but you know, you couldn't, yeah, before Flood, but you couldn't look it up on the internet if they, you knew about CDs because they were at the CD store. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe if it was a less snobby store, someone would tell you about a cool release by a cool band. Chances are, though, unless you're in like New York, they probably didn't know They Might Be Giants. <laughs> no. And the, you know, those albums were ancient history. At the time, we were buying John Henry in Factory Showroom or whatever. Ten years was a long time back then. Yeah, certainly for me, the you know I, the first time I heard almost anything off of those albums was on Severe Tire Damage, and then I bought then came out I think shortly after around that time. So yeah, certainly for those of us that oh then came out uh, before actually then was in. Uh... Oh, okay. March. Well, I bought it shortly. Yeah, after. March of 97, and then Severe Timer Damage was uh, August of 98. But I think for people that were either... I'm not sure how big of a deal then is for people that were either into They Might Be Giants before us 
or got into them after us. Just basing it on the uh, sample size of guests of this show, it comes up a lot with people our age. All right. And, yeah, I didn't own a copy of The Debut or Lincoln until I found first pressings on vinyl in, like, the mid to late aughts. So it was already a decade after I had been hearing these songs nonstop. And I think I bought those, those vinyl on eBay. Like, Discogs wasn't, wouldn't be a thing for a long time after that. But I was already, like, since 97, listening to right alongside with the self-titled, those crazy EP tracks and B-sides, like, that just flowed right into them. Absolutely. And then, and then Lincoln flowed right into those. And so, like, Counterfeit Fake, like, you know, and as a young fan and a guy who's into weird music already, it didn't occur to me at all that that was, like, any weirder than Puppethead. Yeah. Or whatever. I'm not sure that I would go that far. I, I knew that it was weirder. <laughs> and, you know, it explained in the liner notes what it was. <laughs> and even in retrospect, I'm kind of surprised that they they chose that to fill up that space on the CD. I mean, yeah. there are so many songs they could have put on there. <laughs> and I, I like that one a lot, but, you know, you get the impression that this was just Flansburg fiddling. It, it essentially is. the Yeah, so we need to kind of figure out how we're going to organize this whole, like, meat of this. We've been chatting for a while. Now we're, now that we're really getting into it. <laughs> like, because I've got it set up <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the email in one way, but there's no way for it to, like, not just start bleeding one into the other. We don't need an outline. It's just... Yeah, screw that. I would like to know if you think that I am accurate here in that counterfeit fake, despite being the second to last track on the entire thing. So that then... CDs, first disc has 36 songs, disc 2 has 36 songs, it is track 35 out of 36 on disc 2, and yet this was, again, CD era, I even though songs were easily skippable, I was an album guy, like I listened to oh, full yeah. albums, like when I got a new CD, I would not put it in my CD player until I knew I had a dedicated 40, 45 minutes or whatever it was, like I'm not pressing play on this until I know I can give it a full listen the whole way through, like that was the record snob in me, CD snob in me, I suppose, back then. So, like, Counterfeit Fake did not get skipped. Like, I listened to it just as much as, you know, Snowball in Hell or whatever. Like, it got equal amount of spins for me. But would you think it is accurate that, I guess, they've been banned for so long. There's such different wide swaths of, of fans. But Long Tall Weekend is just such a kind of, like, forgotten you know, black sheep of the family in that, not that people... Not for long. Not for long, right? It's finally yeah. getting a physical release. Isn't it crazy that they've waited this long, like they haven't put it out on CD at some point? It's, it's kind of nuts. Yeah. Like, there are fans, like, burning CDs and, like, printing out artwork of Long Tall Weekend just so they could have a physical copy. Like, the band really missed out on some money for, like, a while. They could have sold all of us a CD... And then now sold us sold us a remastered final version. But it it has been they you know do have the high quality downloads of it for some time. Yeah, it's on streaming services yeah. for people. You know, it's I would think that for people that have gotten into They Might Be Giants in more recent years, it's just oh that's just another album. It's on it's on Spotify with everything else. But Long Tall Weekend came out before CD burners. Really, I mean there were CD burners. They're expensive. Nobody had them. They were crazy expensive. And I, for one, when it came out, I uh, downloaded it over my 56K modem and I had to stay up all night so it would 
to wait for it to finish downloading so I could hang up the phone. That's dedication. I hooked up just a cord from the speaker out on my computer into my tape deck and recorded it to cassette the computer it's and then i played it my terrible car stereo it was terrible and i loved it yeah you know long tail weekend is uh i mean of course i'm you know people have heard me mention it on the podcast before that i kind of passed it up the first time around and i love they might be giants but like i didn't have a good way to get it at the time and i'm like i mean really my thinking was like oh it'll come out on cd like, I'll get it, you know, in six months or whatever. Never came out on CD. And because of that, didn't hear it for years later. Years. Well, Greg, you just have to uh, look at eBay every day for a very long time <laughs> and find somebody selling one of the ones that uh, they they handed out at the CD release show. Right. <laughs> Lose that auction. And then the guy offered to sell it to you anyway. And you just give him too much money. Because why wouldn't you? Which is how I got mine. Okay. All right. And this was this is only a couple of years ago. I haven't had it the whole time. But then Long Tall Weekend was was stuck on my dad's computer and on my cassette. And I went off to college. I got my own computer. But fortunately, I, you know, they might be giants offered me a fleece and a signed copy of Mink Car before it came out along with the download of Mink Car before it came out, if I would just give eMusic $10 a month, and then I could re-download Long Tall Weekend, and They Might Be Giants Unlimited, and all that. And I still have the fleece. <laughs> of course, I still have the signed copy of Mink Car. That w- we're not talking about Mink Car, but that was a crazy experience to like hear this album for weeks, and I thought it was going to be huge. I thought it was, was going to be another flood. And then it came out on September 11th, 2001. Hooray. And then uh, Restless Records went out of business and it was just, yeah. it was all downhill from there for, uh, and it really was for the best for They Might Be Giants. They've released everything else themselves. It's been fantastic for us. Yep. And hopefully they're happy with the arrangement. Yeah. Long Tall Weekend and Mink Car, like Mink Car is a vastly superior album. Long Tall Weekend has its, has its charms, and we'll be talking about that more, I'm sure. But like those two albums, the in-betweeners between Elektra and Idlewild, they're, yeah, they really have had a rough road, the two of them. I mean, Long Tall Weekend, like, it's so cool to think about them attempting that, well, t- attempting and succeeding at the download-only album which was really crazy at the time honestly i think it should have been released physically shortly after or whatever you know you reward the people for doing your little what at the time probably seemed like a gimmick but like it should have been out on cd like there's no reason that like one of their biggest fans should have not heard their new album for years you know what do i know i'm not Flamesburg. <laughs> it's probably his idea <laughs> well i think they didn't have distribution or anything at the time yeah so you was... think it was more by by necessity that they did that or they they played it off as you know maybe a little both i think it was a little of both i think that they really didn't know what they were going to do after they got dropped from electra i mean in hindsight we can see how everything worked out but i don't think they had any idea right and my hypothesis is that long tall weekend is their angriest album. Ah, yeah. They were angry and disappointed 
that's where a lot of the just weirdness comes from on Long Tall Weekend. Yeah, that's uh, that is a hypothesis I have. I don't think I've heard before, but I can definitely feel that counterfeit fake faker is the angriest song on the angriest album. Mm, okay, okay. Now we're getting real here. My sections on my email here, and I have. I'm finally organized where I have a template set up where it's got all my sections and then I can go through for the particular song. Uh, and, and so for the demo section, no, that, you know, counterfeit fake essentially is a dial a song. That's essentially all it is. Uh, counterfeit faker, uh, did not have a demo or at least not one that has been made publicly available. So there's only one version of each of these tracks to talk about counterfeit fake, uh, and counterfeit fake er so counterfeit fake obviously came first but let's maybe get this one out of the way before we get the full on because i there's there's i feel like more at least depth wise more stuff to talk about with fake er than fake so let's get fake out of the way first what do you say let's do it Okay, so the ICE newsletter, which sounds a lot more uh, <laughs> ominous with what ICE is, that acronym is known for their evil, evilness stuff. But back in the day, it's a CD-based newsletter because they've been they, like around this time they were in this like I don't know, was it considered a trade journal or is like a like kind of like CMJ College Music Journal magazine? ICE, the CD News Authority. The C must be for CD. It does not even say on the little thing here what I mean. So I still can't help you out on the acronym, but I'm guessing the C is for CD. You want to read the, the thing on the uh, the little blurb from Flansburg in the 1996 ICE oh, sure. newsletter? This uses the very first drum machine I ever bought, two months before it officially came out in America. This song was created with... All the drum programs people are recording while testing it in the store. I was trying to figure out how this piece of equipment works. Oh, it's very psychotic sounding. I thought the title was kind of interesting. <laughs> like Bob Dil- but like a Bob Dylan title that folds in on itself. Psychotic sounding. <laughs> I love that. The So I was talking to Mike Buffington, notable fan and uh, kind of like tech I don't know how to even describe him. He's he's definitely one of the archivists of 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 the band, along with uh, John Ulysses and Peter Gritch, doing the Lord's work in uh, just organizing and tracking down and and just having every file that I could ever need for the podcast. You know, if it exists, one of those three guys has it. They're usually who I hit up. Now Buffington though is also huge into theremins, synthesizers, drum machines. Like, just kind of like old music-related technology. And so here he's saying, the very first drum machine I ever bought. Okay, so I was trying to figure out what that might be because we've talked about these drum machines before. And there's a Tumblr post where Flansburg lists off the drum machines and, like, loosely what era they use them. And he says, earliest... So the question was, which drum machines did you guys use? Claddy DeVito is the is the user on Tumblr, which I like that. Earliest was Micro Moog synthesizer tracked up. 
and then the boss Dr. Rhythm in its original issue. So I'm like, okay, it's got to be one of those. Let me ask Buffington what he thinks, because he would be the guy to know, like, oh, that snare hit, that's this drum machine. (laughs) Like, well, you know, he would know that kind of stuff. And so I hit him up. Yeah, I said, morning, my dude. If anyone knows, it would be you. Which drum machine is Flans referring to that's used for counterfeit fake? And then I pasted that little quote in there from him. And I said, you think it's the Dr. Rhythm? I think I said Dr. Beat on accident because I think that was also another drum machine, maybe by a different company. If it's not, it should be. It should be. So Dr. Rhythm or the Micromog. And so he sent me a link to Vintage Synth Explorer, uh, which is an f- amazing site for dorks like, to, to poke around on synth dorks. And the boss DR110 Dr. Rhythm is what we determined we think it is because the Micromog, uh, you can, because then we started talking about this just as synth dorks about how you can make percussive sounds out of like the noise gate and sounds off of synthesizers. He was talking about a snare sound that he got off of his Micromog and stuff like that. But anyway, in uh, 1980, this Dr. Beat, so I guess if it was the first drum machine that Flans owned. This one came out in 1983. This DR110 Doctor Rhythm, the DR I guess is Doctor <laughs> Doctor Rhythm. They call me Doctor Rhythm. Team G, you know, started in 19 late 1982, basically like kind of 1983 in uh, legit started, and so this definitely makes sense as the one he would have been using. In that quote you read, he said, "Okay, how does he say exactly?" Created with all the drum programs people had recorded while testing it out in the store. That, I think, is the funnest, you know, the most fun part of this whole thing. Yeah. Do you make music at all? Are you a musician? I've never been a musician myself. There was a a long time ago where I managed bands and tried to get a record label going and that kind of thing. So I'm I'm in that world. That's where all this equipment in front of me, you see, has come from. But Uh uh (laughs) hanging around. (laughs) But I'm not a musician myself. But but, but have you puttered around a music store? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you plunked on things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is super fun. And and again, we I feel like we're dating ourselves with this. Like there are still places to go and try out instruments. And I think you know music instrument stores will will never fully go out of business because if you're going to buy a super expensive guitar, chances are you want to go and try it out first. Whether or not you actually buy it from that store or you go play it and then go and buy it on fucking Amazon or whatever. I mean, for real, if it's a local music store, you know, you should support them. But If it's Guitar Center, do whatever you want. Right, exactly, exactly. But just thinking about, like, go, being in a store in 1983, 1984, whatever. I mean, if you said it was the first one he owned, it has to be a new thing at the time. And you, you walk into the store and they got this thing called Dr. Rhythm. And you're like, oh, man, this looks fun. And you just start, like, mashing buttons on it. So like people could look up a, a picture of this. I'll probably maybe I'll post a picture of Doctor Rhythm uh, when I post this episode. Yeah, you know, it's got like four dials. It's got all these blue buttons: accent, bass drum, snare drum, hi hat, open hi hat, closed hi hat, cymbal and toms, maybe a tom. And then it has like beats and subdivisions. You know, one through eight. A couple other things, and it's got a, lig- a little like digital uh, LCD display with like a grid on it to make like a rhythm like subdivided on this grid and i've never played with one of these exactly but i've i've ones that are a little less vintage i fooled around with and they're super fun to play with so i'm just imagining flames like going and like 
buying this thing like off the rack like like what was it the the display model or what like why did he come home with the one that was like i had been played with <laughs> well they probably didn't stock very many maybe he was probably probably expensive. the one yeah man yeah i wonder how much this would have been back in the day uh and and you know we've been talking about ebay and and stuff like that let's go ahead and, and figure out how much this costs now if you want to buy one okay 140 bucks you know 140 bucks they have ones that have the full package and everything else that are like up to 500 it looks like but you can buy it looks like a a, a working one for 130 100 to 150 bucks you don't say click no i <laughs> <laughs> so at the time it must have been a pretty hefty you know a decent amount oh I'm so sure. flansburg was making an investment in his new band buying this thing maybe it it was it had a scratch on it it was the dented floor model and he's like okay i'll just take that one how much you know how much cheaper is that i'll take that one and bringing it home and making a song out of it being inspired by the shit that's just programmed into it already just seems it's just like such a fun little like bit of trivia and buffington and i then started talking about how we're going to eventually, you know, hopefully this summer do the next TMBG Jeopardy, which you would be eligible to be a contestant on if you liked, because it's open to, uh, uh, you got to be a Patreon subscriber to uh, at least this point. And once we exhaust all of the Patreon subscribers who want to be on a Jeopardy thing, which would be years from now, then we could, you know, get the, you know, the the regular fans just join the patreon yeah for the love of god people uh listen to that uh, the beatles episode we just put out the beatles team bg episode it's just such a fun little bit of of trivia because we're like okay maybe we should make a whole uh drum machine you know column a drum machine category on the jeopardy (laughs) just to talk about the different drum machines because that would be hard it'd be very hard you know people who listen to this show maybe would remember me bringing up or people saw this tumblr post or read the wiki a lot but it's just a cool little thing to think about him coming up with a psychotic sounding track just trying to figure out gear because as someone who likes gear and stuff with dials and (laughs) sliders and knobs and just fucking around with stuff and might as well record it while i'm fucking around with it uh and just coming up with weird shit like this is just a really fun little uh, bit of tmbg history knowing you know just like picturing flans with this little box just like pressing buttons or like queuing up whatever was on there before and singing or like rapping over it (laughs) like curtis blow style counterfeit fake history once you made a mistake like just like the most basic like shouting rhythms with just this one rhyme over and over. I love it. I mean, yes, <laughs> and I, I love the way it sounds. I love that. I I don't know how to describe it, but it, it's it sounds like an electric guitar that's out of tune. Somebody playing not quite a chord, not quite pushing the strings down all the way as as a rhythm instrument. And blink, blonk, blink. Yeah, blonk. That sounds that's fantastic. This is a Flansburg solo track. It's uh, him on guitar and vocal and Dr. Rhythm is what we're assuming. I, I, I think it's pretty safe to say that Buffington and I, with the, with the Tumblr posts and just what he knows about stuff, that it's it's got to be this Dr. Rhythm. Yeah, I don't think Flansburg would have called 
the Moog he was using to make rhythms a drum machine. I mean, he listed it on the, the Tumblr post. But, I mean, it could have been... Right. It's like, you know, maybe he forgot the order of things. You know, like, chances are. But it, since that's a 1983 drum machine, it's that's got to be it. Because there's, there's, like, five other ones they've used. I'm yeah. convinced. It's got to be. Stuff like this, like, I can understand why Buffington, like, goes and buys, like, a micro... You know, he has a micro Moog. He played it on the Sifton episode uh, that he was on. Like, he has some of these drum machines. I guess he doesn't have this one exactly, but he has some of the other ones that they use more prominently, the Alesis ones they've used and stuff. But, it like, it makes me want to go and buy one just to be like, I can make my own counterfeit fake. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, how wild would that be? Well, it's only going to help you understand the music better if you're you're using the tool they use to make it. Right. Which, electro- with electronic music, it's... It's not as simple as it is with, you know, guitar, bass, and drums. Oh, I'm also noticing here on the wiki, uh, I love I love when I come across something on the wiki that has a question mark. Because, like, if the wiki doesn't know it, there's just this mystery about it where you're like, nobody knows. If you look at the credits page, well, on the overall song page, it says year 1997. Obviously... That's when it was released. So you go to the credits, uh, and it says, uh, released 1997, recorded 198 question mark. Yeah. <laughs> it has the question mark in the, in the, the singles digits. Uh, 1980 question mark. It could be one of the very first things that he ever recorded that maybe he didn't even like intend it to be the MAP Giants thing, and then they're putting together this then compilation. He's like, ah, stick it on there. Yeah, well, and it had been on Dial-A-Song as well. Right, right. right. So it, it it had been taking up space. It's almost like the same kind of thing where he's like, let's fill out a compilation CD with this. Dial-A-Song was kind of the same way where it's like, we need a song this week. All right, put that on. Yeah. You know, and, you know, maybe no one would have heard it outside of Brooklyn, you know, outside the New York area in 1980-whatever. But then they threw it on to the then compilation. I mean, this song could have very easily be lost to the winds of time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And like the fact that we have such a good sounding recording of it, like we don't have to go to the power dial song bootlegs to hear like a version of this. Like, <laughs> like we have a crisp sounding version of this fucked up little song, the psychotic song. It's so good. Well, now that they put out Long Tall Weekend on vinyl, they can just create a box set of, I don't know, 25, 30 discs of everything from the archives, all of uh, TMBG Unlimited, and all those live shows that, that, that you could download for a while <laughs> when they were you know, when they were putting up live shows every night yeah. that you could download for 10 bucks. Yeah. Just everything. Just, yeah, just shut up and take my money, they might be giants. Seriously, like, yeah, that just occurred to me. Like, they could... Like, Flamesburg has to have a lot of these dial-a-song ones still. Like, maybe he was recording over cassettes. Maybe he wasn't thinking that far in advance at the time. Like, you know, you're in the heat of the moment. You're like, I need a cassette. Like, here's the next song, whatever. That song was dumb. I'll just go over it. But, like, where's my physical copy of Bread Hair? That episode's coming up soon. (laughs) They could put out a box set of cassettes. It could be, like... It could come in one of those travel cassette things that we used to get to bring in the car. Oh, right. Right. A travel a travel case of cassettes, and it could be the Power of Dial song where they where they take it back from being a bootleg, put out whatever the best versions of it that they have, 
Hell, they could rip it right from the <laughs> from the the fan bootleg and have it on cassettes. You know, like twelve cassettes or something full of everything Power Dial song, like all the demos of stuff that was released, all the just the Power of Dial songs on physical cassettes in a box set. I would buy it. I I'm still pulling for the the digital or or record. Well, it comes with the okay, it comes with that download. <laughs> I I you know I. <laughs> You and I live through cassettes. I don't see how you can want to go back to that. You know, it's just like the VHS thing. I mean, there are things, there are cassettes I have because that's the that's the only place that that music exists. And there are VHS tapes I have that that's the only place that exists. I'm going to hang on for that. Right. But I'm, I, I have no nostalgia for that stuff. <laughs> it was terrible. Yeah. Well, we, okay. So again, it comes back to Daniel Johnson. Like I buy the cassettes from them because it feels like the intended way it was meant to be heard. And if you, if I'm hearing a song like our fighting boys or whatever, you know, one of those songs that like, you know, only people who listen to this podcast might have any idea what I'm talking about because they're so obscure. If it was originally heard over the phone, played on a cassette in Flansburg's apartment answering machine. I'll take it on cassette. That's the one time. Like, I don't I don't want to have piles of cassettes around. But in this case, I will take it on cassette. I want it to look like the cassettes that were in his answering machine. I want, you know, what was he using there? Maxwell, what was he using? Uh, <laughs> did he have Maxwell with the noise reduction? Because, boy, we need some noise reduction on some of these tracks. Come on, Flans. Give us, yeah, the full archives. Like, these guys love digging stuff out of the archives do they really not have these like are they satisfied with with not making money are they satisfied with us having these powers dialogue on bootlegs and they're like yeah that's good enough like they could be making money off of these and if it's dig if it's digital like what's what's the harm there's no overhead you know a box set obviously there's overhead they're taking a risk there but at a certain point they could release so much stuff that it would scare people away at a certain point or at least i could see that argument i, I guess I failed at running a record label, so I my opinion on this shouldn't be trusted. But I could see the argument that like we can't just give them everything. We <laughs> gotta slowly trickle it out over time. Right. I think it's been long enough. <laughs> After twenty five years, we'll give them we'll give them a physical release of Long Tall Weekend. And maybe another five or eight years later. <laughs> well, yeah, 40 years later was my physical uh, you know, my cassette of uh, you know, everything that was put on dial a song circa counterfeit fake <laughs> oh man have you looked at the interpretations tab for counterfeit fake to, to jump to before we get there i'm looking at the length of disc two of then and it is uh-huh. over awesome. 73 of the 74 possible minutes of a cd and so I wonder. Ah, oh, someone to eighty. Someone to eighty. But what about nineteen ninety seven? I'm not sure. It's long, and I I wonder if part of the reason that the counterfeit fake was included is because it fit, because <laughs> it was short and they could squeeze it in. Yeah, thirty nine seconds. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember because because cassettes you could buy at so many different lengths, and I think a lot of it just had to do like you know, do you want to record it high quality? You probably don't want the 90 minute cassette or whatever you'd get the shorter one but with cds they did get up to 80 minutes because i made many a burn cd but back in 97 maybe it wasn't quite up to 80 minutes yet but or they were available but more expensive right was it wait what 
label put out then? Was it Restless? Yeah, Restless. Okay, Restless put out... Okay, so it's one of the other... The few uh, Restless releases that they put out. So, yeah, Restless wasn't a major label. I mean, it's a subsidiary of... Uh, disc which again is a big label, no, not, but not a major label. Yeah. So you know, price could have come into it where they're like, guys, you're putting out a double CD. It's one of these thick cases. Gotta draw a line somewhere. We're not springing for the eighty minute cassettes, but you're probably right. Thirty nine seconds, like we get squeeze something else on there, and then the school children particle man. Yeah, that is, I think, the one song I would I would skip sometimes on then the school children. Sometimes the school get into the couple of notes of the school children saying i'm gonna start over now i you know i like it just for the one point where one kid goes ow like it's so good like he only pitches the kid oh. next to her so like, ow <laughs> like i'm glad it's there music teacher like, but i don't need to listen to it every time i i guess also though though as i grew up and became a music teacher and one who has taught they might be giant songs to kids which i recently remember going through files uh, at school a guitar tab for Particle Man that I had a guitar club playing back as early as 2009. So like long before I was doing my Warren County like live streams of, of my first graders unit, I was teaching kids Particle Man. And I do remember playing the accordion along with them at a performance in front of parents. In front of a paying crowd. No, in front of parents, uh, you know, my fifth and sixth grade guitar players. And I was playing accordion along with them. So I'm kind of jealous of the fact that this one music teacher was able to get their kids, their students, onto a major They Might Be Giants release. It's uh, pretty awesome. So the interpretations tab. The interpretation is definitely that it's it's kind of literal, that it's about a historical figure who's who's being mocked. I'm not sure that that's the direction I went with it. But I mean, I it's really... Even though I heard counterfeit fake before I heard counterfeit faker, it's hard for me not to connect them. I think that they're of the same inspiration deep within the heart of Flansburg. Yeah, we we, we couldn't have split these apart. Like, there's no way we couldn't have put these together in the episode. But you have so few lyrics to go off of on this one. And he's fucking around with a Dr. Rhythm and just fake and mistake. I mean, I don't know, like, counterfeit fake is just a funny phrase because counterfeit already implies that something is fake yeah you know right or is the fake like you're calling someone a fake like you're a fake counterfeit fake because if you're thinking about like a counterfeit is a fake it kind of just seems redundant but i don't know what do you even make of that phrase like it's such a weird like it's lived in my brain for so long it's like oh that makes sense but when you think about it like well that why would those two words even go next to each other they mean the same thing i think i don't think they're an oxymoron i don't think they cancel each other out i think that they're emphasizing slightly different points uh-huh. you're both you know invalid and a phony okay and I, that's what i think counterfeit fake is about it's about somebody who not only is just a phony that's putting on a show, but thinks that they're they're great, that they're going to be uh-huh. remembered by history. They're putting their mark on the world when, in fact, they're just kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're getting a lot out of two lines. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, again, it's it's like if he wrote this in 1983 and you're thinking about... Like, I don't know why Curtis Blow always comes to mind. I mean, there's there's a lot of, co- like, really cool in a dorky way. 
those early rappers where you look back on it, it's like, this is so cheesy. But that was like the cool party shit at the time. No, I love that stuff. It's amazing. Oh, it's great. Like Curtis was like his basketball song and the music video that goes yeah. with it. Amazing. But yeah, like clap your hands, everybody. If you got what it takes, because I'm Curtis Blow and I want you to note that these are the breaks. Great song. Great song. And then the funky guitar comes in. Counterfeit fake. These are the breaks. It could have gone right into that song. Hey, hey, counterfeit fake history wants you to make a mistake. That's it. Four times. That's 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 the song. So I think, you know, it, it's funny to have an interpretation. It's, it's the wonderful wiki. You know, it's part of the joy of it. Yeah, the narrator who cloned him is mocking him in good taste. So we got a clone involved. Yeah, that makes it. Well, given the, the time that it came out, it also kind of makes me think that, you know, this was the early 80s. Uh, Reagan had, you know, broken onto the national scene. He'd become president Woo. and people were not ready for that. He was so slick. He was Hollywood. Yeah. He was so, you know, likable and charming in that sort of, you know, television way. Fake. Yeah. And so maybe, maybe it's about Reagan, but I'm sure that there were a million small time politicians that were trying to pull that off in the immediate wake of Reagan Oh, yeah. They were yeah. just absurdly ridiculous. I mean, if you watch Reagan now, it seems kind of silly. We're in such a different world. But <laughs> He seems it's quaint. Yeah. By comparison, like, I mean, you know, obviously Trump is the parallel to draw. You know, he's, he's an outsider. But at least Reagan had been governor before he had been in the political office. So, like, Reagan, it's like, well, at least he, like, hashed it out a little bit on a slightly smaller scale. Jesus, whatever, man, it's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, we knew yeah. who was we knew who was pulling the strings with Reagan, with Trump. We had no idea, just yeah. something new every day. Gosh. But now, but you have the same thing now. There are all these little like mini Trumps that Ugh. are trying to like pull off the same Trump thing that we weren't inoculated for at all, <sighs> and just overwhelmed us God. a few years DeSantis. back. And it's, you know, it's they're mostly failing pretty badly. Yeah. They are. Yeah, he was kind of a, an enigma there. He's kind of a yeah. one-of-a-kind asshole. I mean, there, there is your Marjorie Taylor Greene. Oh, my God. I mean, I think even uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida, yeah, like he's, he's trying to do asshole. the same thing. Yeah. But just he, he just doesn't have the charm or the stones for it. But we'll see how that, that shakes out. But Yeah, he's not getting the nomination. I mean, and also no. I think it was a very bold and poor decision to go after a big business when you are, you know, a Republican who is supposed to say something like uh, whatever Mitt Romney said. Was, was he the one that said, businesses are people too, or whatever the fuck. Yeah, like, well. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go after one of the most beloved institutions in America. Exactly, it's Disney. Not, not that I mean, Disney isn't doing fucked up shit. They've oh, always no. done fucked up shit. But for a Republican to be like, come on, Disney, bring it on. I'm going to be the one who takes you down. Like, that's supposed to be like, like, Hey, let's raise taxes. Wait a minute. Yeah. That's not what our side's supposed to say. Hey, we're anti big business. Wait a minute. I'm a Republican, right? <laughs> well, and that's the thing. I mean, everybody's nobody knows where the political lines are over there anymore. And everybody's just ugh, scrambling. And you know, I mean, what's it's gonna be Trump versus Biden again, because that's the dumbest thing. And I've I've found <laughs> what's that if the you most predict boring the, thing we could come up with. If you predict the dumbest thing, that's what's going to happen in American politics this century. So, uh, okay. Well, anyway, before we get onto counterfeit faker, we just need to talk about this live like pigs that I alluded to an hour ago. 
Yeah, you don't think anybody's going to pick this song? You don't think we should leave it? (laughs) John, a friend of mine, Eleanor Summers from the AP Wire Service, told me you two live like pigs. Is this true? Tell me, John and John, how do you like doing live radio? A lot of people have compared the band, They Might Be Giants, to Germany in the 30s. What do you think of that? You sometimes think about wearing long, long hair. Is that a statement? You know, I was looking. Wait, is this even on the spreadsheet? Because, again, like, I find a song like, I've never heard the song. Do I have it on the spreadsheet? I don't live like. Nope, it's not on the spreadsheet. Because it is, it is not, it's on the wiki, but it is not scored on the wiki. There is, it's not on the rankings. Not enough people know about it. We're going to change all that. Yeah, so both of us had just heard this track which i searched my itunes and i had it i sent it over to you maybe in listening through something i downloaded you know the dial you know stuff dial song stuff heard it through on uh, power dial song 2 just kind of glazed over it's a 36 second track it's only slightly shorter than counterfeit fake uh so it's paired with often paired with this song live like pigs let's play back to back with counterfeit fake do you want to tell the people a little bit about live like pigs because we kind of are learning about this together well sure uh live like pigs is a recording of probably a woman Uh, you take a journalist who's asking just terrible ridiculous interview questions (laughs) to uh john and john and i think at this point they would have preferred to be asked i hear you live like pigs rather than the questions they were probably already tired of answering in the early eighties with the local New New York press. (laughs) There's a a band here in Seattle called the Tripwires. Probably their, their biggest hit was a song called big electric light. And it, it deals with this same issue. These silly questions that you're asked in a band. Are you a morning person or a night owl? (laughs) What's Johnny really like? Yeah. What's the inspiration for the band name? Uh, Yeah. Who are your favorite bands? Yeah, so this was used on the Franco Tool show in '87. For the trivia, it says, "But but with responses from John and John instead of silence." This recording is also missing the question about English bands, which was present in the Franco Tool show recording. Now and now that I'm, what was the question about English bands? I have like the Franco Tool stuff. I mean, like, is this available? Like. Should I be finding this to drop in a clip of like the full thing with their answers? Is this not out there? It seems like it should be out there. Like I want to know what their responses were. The re- quote: "The recording was an excerpt from a promotional tape we made in 1985, which was a fake interview interspersed with real songs by TMBG. The voice, oh, the voice of the interviewer was our friend Jennifer Neff. So we got a name of the gal, Jennifer Neff." But I would like to hear what the answers are, because the questions are just fucking ridiculous. <laughs> well, and I think that that's what they recorded it for, to, you know, maybe not just for the Franco Tool show. Maybe they were doing this bit live as well. Yeah, it could be an intro thing. But they, they just put just the back, what is effectively the backing track on dial a song yeah yeah the backing track right yeah were they answering it live on stage no like like, yeah uh uh, man 
<laughs> a lot of people have compared the band Name of the Giants to Germany in the 30s. What do you think of that? That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> you sometimes think about wearing long, long hair. Is that a statement? <laughs> like, Is that a statement? <laughs> I didn't come up with this long, long hair. It makes me think of Purple Toupee. And I mean, this is around that era. Yeah, that you're thinking about growing out your hair. Yeah. Which they never really did. They have, you know, they... They're not working at NASA in the 50s, but they're keeping it short. Yeah, I mean, I guess around Apollo, uh, Linnell was rocking a slightly longer do, but I still wouldn't really call it long hair. So promotional tape they made in 1985. So 85, counterfeit fake has the 1980 question mark. So if, I mean, sure, they're grouped together on Power of Dial a Song 2. I guess the wiki's saying that they were often grouped together on Dial a Song, I guess legitimately. So maybe counterfeit fake, maybe 1980 question mark should be 1985. I don't know. Or maybe, I don't know. Don't know. We can only guess. We can only guess. Should we move on to counterfeit faker? The one we'll have more to talk about. We're already yes going on two hours. Holy shit. My God. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to really bring this one in. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll have nothing to talk about with any of this, the rest of this. Uh, <laughs> Clearly, the one that's actually been played live. Call out the Undertaker. Call out the police. The counterfeit faker is coming after me. Yes, I loved him like a brother. I loved him ambivalently. There's no Okay, so over to Counterfeit Faker for, uh, okay, so Long Tall Weekend. So Counterfeit Fake, while it had been on Dial-A-Song, was then widely distributed on the then compilation, which came out in 97. Now we got Long Tall Weekend in 99, which was first played in 1996. I'm wondering if the initial playing of Counterfeit Fake Live in 96, clearly Flans was like remembering his from a decade earlier, kind of a fake. I wonder if that's what inspired him to lump it onto kind of a fake onto the then compilation. Cause he had just written a new song. It's like, well, people got to know the original cause I'm about to put out the sequel. I don't know. That makes sense. I think he, I think he just also <laughs> just legitimately liked that phrase that clearly counterfeit fake or counterfeit faker. And I think it's a good one. I think it's, you know, yeah. An obscure insult. Yeah, and it's just unique. It's something like, like I said, I've never heard anyone put those two words together before because, yeah, I mean, you make a good point for them being, while having similar intentions uh, lumped together can can mean uh, its its own thing. Did you see the first trivia points on Counterfeit Faker? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's it yeah. say? John Flanberg <laughs> has said this song is about a relative of his. Oh, yeah. Well, Uncle and Jerry, you're being called out. Yeah, good old Uncle Jerry. <laughs> Uncle Leo. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> which is funny. I mean, that does that does shed some light on the song. Yeah, it can be easy to hypothesize, but probably not worthwhile. Right. It's probably not about Robin. 
<laughs> is it about what the hell did his brother change his name to? Praxis? Uh not uh Pax uh Paxis. Yeah. Pax? Paxis. Not Praxis. That's the test that teachers have to take uh to Never mind. Uh, <laughs> it is, though. The practice of the game. Yes, I loved him like a brother. I loved him ambivalently. That does make the, the like a, loved him like a brother. Like a brother. A little a little sharper burn. If yeah. In fact, is his brother. I loved him like a brother. Yeah. <laughs> I loved you like a brother. I am your brother. Exactly. <laughs> I, I used to be with a person, and uh, her parents uh, split when they were when they were very young. But one one story that she would t- tell a little too gleefully is that her mom would always buy the cards and sign her dad's name and send them out. And one Mother's Day, she was mad, and so she bought uh, her husband's mother a card that said, "You're like a mom to me." <laughs> <laughs> and and you know maybe in hearing this story i, I should have realized to maybe not hang around but you know you, you'll learn oh, later. oh man also that i loved him ambivalently ambivalently that is not usually you wouldn't normally tell someone you love them ambivalently <laughs> Not typically. Uh, ambivalence. I, I'm conflicted in my feelings about you. We have relatives that we love ambivalently. I mean, there are. Yeah. They're yeah. in our family. We love them. They're our family. We'd rather not, but they're. <laughs> do we like them? No. no. We love them, but do we like them? No. Yeah, it's a, it's a good word in this in this context. I mean that 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 yeah, coupled there with uh, I loved him like a brother. I loved him ambivalently. Because you have to love your brother, right? Or else mom will punish you. I don't know. Would you call this a chorus? There's no way to measure the damage he has done. Counterfeit faker carries a grudge. If it's about someone he knows, I mean, there's no way to measure the damage he has done. I feel like maybe that's some some, uh, Bob Dylan overstatement right there. But Yeah, that's some hyperbole there, sure. But then again, it is hard to measure damage. This, all of a sudden, like reprehensible comes to mind. As one of my favorite Long Tall Weekend tracks. Yeah. And I believe the first episode done on a Long Tall Weekend track with uh, Chris Oliveira, who was just on the Beatles episode for Patreon people. Uh, There's a 40-minute chunk of that teaser, people. Don't skip that if you are a uh, non-Patreon. Like, like they could be about the same person. Yeah. Reprehensible and counterfeit faker. And they're only separated by certain people I should name, who is... There's a lot of songs about horrible people. I mean... This is what I'm saying. It's an angry album yeah you're right you know they might be giants don't have like a lot of traditional love songs per se right i mean they're loves but they're not very straight ahead but they do have some traditional hate songs and there are a lot of great traditional hate songs out there i blame you for one the episode that just oh i just mean in the world not just they might be giants oh yeah 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 yeah. you know i mean probably my favorite song to hear covered is positively four street by bob dylan uh x has done it the violent femmes have done it yeah i need them to dig up a daniel johnson cassette of him strumming through that one probably has yeah yeah and i'm sure that the johns are gonna do it any day now they probably did somewhere in the stump box era yeah counterfeit faker 
Next bit of trivia. The Summer 1999 Info Club newsletter. Quote, a hopped-up country number finds Linnell playing the banjo and fiddle, parentheses, exclamation point, close parentheses, and some serious foot-stomping and cross-eyed harmonizing from Flansy, period. Different, period. End quote. That really does kind of sum up the musical elements, and we're probably not done with the lyrical elements, but the credits, like, Linnell playing a string instrument is a very rare occurrence in the MIP Giants lore. Can you name the famous track of him playing guitar? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I, I would have at one point. I'm not going to be good at Jeopardy. Just <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you don't have to be on Team Jeopardy. Okay, I'll sing the guitar part. Does that become a robot? Is that what we're doing? Swing is a word. Oh, swing is a word. Yes. Six feet down. But on this song, Lunell plays three string instruments. Yeah, like why? And then you have Jay Sherman Godfrey playing cello of all things, which is not his main instrument. No. And Eric Sherberhorn on in a, on an additional acoustic guitar and i kind of assume he's doing the fancy stuff because he could do some fancy stuff the uh, lead guitarist from the factory showroom era uh for those who don't recognize that name and worked with a ton of people i i have i have tried on multiple occasions like searching him down trying to find a contact of some kind unsuccessfully thus far i would love to get him on the show i mean heck jay jay sherman godfrey maybe he'd be more attainable well they worked together an awful lot like they're yeah i mean i think they both worked with iggy pop at the same time it's like can you get one and get the other yeah it's a, it's a package deal that's the way it works it's a package deal well i mean f- fuck i get talking to julie Klausner tomorrow and it, right that's really no small part thanks to thanks to uh, jake fogelness yeah. just like being like okay Oh right, she's a fan. The uh, yeah, the fact that Linnell's playing three <clears throat> string instruments. So and banjo for one is also a very rarely featured instrument. Like they might be giants have all kinds of crazy instruments, but banjo is not one used frequently. I mean, we're all aware of fingertips, banjo fingertips, and it's used on both fingertips, not just the one that's banjo. Nice and easy. What the fuck is that? Oh, it's a Frank Sinatra cover. Okay, stand on your own head. Has banjo. We want rock. Has banjo, but is buried in the mix uh, because the engineer did not like it. And then counterfeit faker. So really, this is you know, stand on your own head. And this song, I'd say, I mean, I guess fingertips. You know, it's a short little thing. But as far as like full length songs with like a chorus and a verse and whatever, counterfeit faker and stand on your own head are really the banjo features. It's wild that they would have Linnell play fiddle because like the violin like it's one thing to mash down on like a bass and i don't know if this is electric bass or this is upright bass i didn't assume so i mean it kind of sounds like it but i assumed it was you know effects electric yeah 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 it's hard to come across an upright bass they're a little little pricey you never know though they know a lot of people but fiddle uh also you cannot click on the word fiddle on on this wiki page which means that, I mean, yes, it's another name for violin. There's been plenty of violin. But they they don't... Is this the only song that the wiki calls fiddle? Has a fiddle part? Not violin, but fiddle? I don't know. Maybe they just call it fiddle because the, the quote from the newsletter, banjo and fiddle. 
The violin is a very uh, delicate instrument. Have you ever played a violin? I, I've not played. I've I've uh, been allowed to fiddle with them very carefully. But they're hard to play, like to say the least. It's the kind of instrument where, like a beginner saxophonist, a beginner drummer, a beginner clarinetist, like you can honk out something that doesn't like totally make people's ears bleed, like pretty much right off the bat, just because like it's the learning curve it's it's a little easier to make a sound on but like violin like playing a violin in tune and especially with a bow because i taught orchestra for six years i'm currently going for another orchestra gig right now you teach violin in typically in guitar position uh and you're plucking it with your thumb or some might start it right up on under the chin which i can't like just the, the holding a violin is hard holding it the correct way um, but once you start doing pizzicato and plucking it, like that's one thing. You get your left hand where it's supposed to be. You know, there's no fretboard. There's no fretboard. Violins are just as ancient in design as they've always been. They've never been updated. Well, I guess fine tuning pegs near the near the bridge. Handing someone a violin and who's not a violinist and being like, "Let's mic this up. It's time to record this, baby." Uh, is is a recipe for disaster, and I think in this case, that's kind of what they wanted. Like it's kind of a, uh, it almost goes along with counterfeit fake. Whereas like Flansburg got a new instrument, the Doctor Rhythm. Here's what came out of it: the one of the first times he fucked around with it. I can link it up here. Here, Linnell. Here's here's a violin. Give it a shot. <laughs> Just like, like. <laughs> I guess they call it a fiddle the way he scoops up into the notes. I don't know. It's so bizarre. So do you think they recorded this before they started playing it live? Because certainly with Long Tall Weekend, they didn't go into the studio to record Long Tall Weekend. It's kind of a mishmash of things that they had. But it's hard to say with this one. There's no chronology right. tab. We have no idea. Should we jump to the live debut? Yeah, let's let's listen to the live debut. We, we could jump into that and then come back to talk about the song more. So the live debut, March 14th, 1996. So I found this on Museum of Idiots. God bless. We are doing a song now that's called Counterfeit Faker. Okay, this song has a backing track. It, it, that is definitely a backing track. I mean, uh, d- am I wrong? Like, for 1996, they were not using backing tracks anymore, really. But the way that kicks in, dun, 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 it sounds, well, fake. Yeah. I mean, it would have been Brian Doherty still at the time in 96. It does not sound like a human drummer. It does not no. sound like the way that Doherty plays. And the bass, like the drums and bass sound like a backing track, but there's no fiddle. It's accordion Yeah, played in kind of a 
fiddlish way. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's like he's kind of like poking at it. Like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think about that that debut? There's no fiddle in it, but what, what do you think about uh, of what we just heard? I think it's great with the accordion. I think that you're probably right about the backing track. That didn't occur to me. But even the way he introduces it, like he's trying to get somebody's attention. This song is called Counterfeit Faker. Maybe the person is about us in the crowd. Like somebody's manning <laughs> the backing track and they have to get, you know. Oh, yeah. Make I see. sure they're okay. playing the right one. Yeah. <laughs> Cue that up on the uh, the CD. Oh, it's probably still a tape in 1996. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. It was expensive yeah. to get a CD made in 1996. Sure. Yeah. It was magic. Yeah. Might as well press a record. <laughs> Drop the needle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, accordion. So, you know, obviously more uh, natural duo setup for them, a backing track. And yeah, March 14th, 1996, they were playing like, I'm, I'm looking at the set list now, and Counterfeit Fake was in between She's Actual Size and the Famous Polka, about halfway down the set list. But they were doing, you know, all the stuff you'd expect in 96. XCXXY, James K. Polk, Older... On the drag, that's cool. Um, certain people I can name. So this is definitely of the era. So uh, certain people I can name, again, would come out on Long Tall Weekend. So this was pre... So this is another pre-Long uh, Tall Weekend live song. Certain people, Counterfeit Faker. Um, I was the only two. Yeah, those are the two that then would pop up on... Yeah, oh, and they got lost. Yeah, those would be the three Long Tall Weekend songs that they played at that show uh, three years before. I think it sounds great with accordion, and obviously Linnell's a more, <laughs> much more accomplished <laughs> accordionist than fiddle or banjo player. So I guess it takes us to the next trivia point. The song was occasionally performed live using the same puppet heads that are better known for their appearance in, quote, live performances of Exquisite Dead Guy. Now... I'm not quite sure, honestly, what I that I know what they're talking about. They're not talking about the avatars of they. That was much later. No, I, uh, the puppet heads that are were they the ones that like are in little sticks or whatever? yeah. If you click on exquisite dead guy, it comes up. They're very oh, yeah, like yeah. creepy, like marionettes, but just the heads, like not marionettes, but the ventriloquist. Uh, there tummies. we go. That's the word I'm looking for. Just the heads on. Those are extremely creepy. It's on like a microphone stand or something. Very creepy. Yeah, the the big smiles, the rosy cheeks, the eyes, wide open eyes. Creepy. Yeah, uh, yeah. But for a song like uh, it calls it exquisite dead guy, I guess that makes sense. So they would often use those same puppets to quote sing counterfeit faker. So that's cool. Cool little creepy bit of live uh, trivia. You can take this song pretty seriously if you want yeah. to. Yeah. If you want to take Counterfeit Faker completely just straight on, literal, this is a totally serious song. You can absolutely do that. And then they pull out the creepy puppets. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> well, and we haven't even mentioned that it's one of the very few They Might Be Giants country songs. Yeah. You know? I, yeah. you know, I grew up in often in Western Pennsylvania, which it's, it's basically Kentucky. Sure. It know, is rural coal country, yeah, rural, rural coal country, yeah. uh, you know, lots, lots and lots of country music. And when I was young, I absolutely hated it. I couldn't stand any of it. Then as I 
you know, got a little older. I moved out of the country and then, you know, we had I, this song for one and, you know, I, Jonathan Richmond's country record. And then eventually the whole alt country thing. Yeah. Came you know, around. really blew me away. You know, Drag the River has always been one of my favorite bands. Yeah. I I have mentioned that before, but how Flans used to dip his toe into country stuff like alienations for the rich is like a country ballad yep uh number three is a, a country stomper lucky ball and chain lucky ball and chain is it's kind of like a johnny cash style you know train coming down the track type country song he doesn't do it anymore i kind of wish he did no i, I wish he I would like his country style me too i don't know i wonder if he thinks it's just it's not interesting anymore you have all kinds of you know rock and roll people doing country country albums you know you got mike ness certainly uh uh what's the name of uh my neighbor mxpx uh what's his name oh man mike hess mike he- mike hess is that it no uh, mike uh, it's mike uh you know mike he had the country band tumble down at least for a while. I don't know if they're still oh. active, but there was a, there was a lot of that going around. Herrera. Herrera. Thank you. I'm sure there's 50 other examples of punk rock guys or rock and roll guys that did some country. Well, you even have formerly known as Hootie and without his blowfishes. <laughs> Darius Rucker. Yeah. Darius Rucker doing uh, uh old crow medicine show and having a hit with it. It's a, it's a weird world. Good on him. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, good for him. I would rather never hear it again, but, you know. Yeah, the country twang, the poorly played fiddle. I mean, the banjo kind of flies under the radar a little bit, but, like like I said, you can't fake violin. Like, it just doesn't, it's just, it's going to sound scratchy and weird, and I think that, again, that's just what they're going for. Like Absolutely. Make it sound fucked up. But we 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 haven't touched on completely all the lyrics yet either. Oh. We talked about the loved him like a brother and the loved him ambivalently, and the damage. Uh, the second verse, nervous. I walk through windows. I walk through plate glass doors. Silent, his presence mocks me and waves me on some more. The imagery there, just like of someone walking through, like being nervous or distracted or something and like walking like boom like into a <laughs> not paying attention walking into a door walking through a window and through plate glass doors uh that's that's some imagery there why is the narrator uh so nervous because of this they just don't like being around this family member well so just the anger of it all and the the frustration i would think yeah have driven him to distraction there you go there you go to, to to turn a phrase silent his presence mocks me like it's got to be just yeah he's sitting at the dinner table man who is this song about sitting at the thanksgiving table this relative maybe it's a cousin i love you like a brother it's a close cousin uh but now silent just you're sitting there just staring at each other over the mashed potatoes his presence mocks me and waves me on some more to embarrass yourself by walking through plate glass windows. This song is wild. His presence mocks me. I feel like the, this is a, a theme that comes up in a lot of Flansburg lyrics, where it's like, I'm furious at you just being you and just yeah. existing. <laughs> like, at some point, I hate it, your face. it's like, 
bordering on maybe you're the asshole, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just so angry that you're even here. (laughs) Am I the asshole? Let's hit up the subreddit and find out. And then the, like, before the solo, before the guitar solo, ah, do some damage, son. <laughs> a, a great little Flansburg, uh, total Flansburg vibe uh, kind of, you know, interjection. Yeah. Like his little ad-libs, like, the song goes out to my one true love. The ladies. ladies. It, it's right up there with that. This song, pretty great, and it's just, like, unique. It's, it's yeah. Like we mentioned a handful of countryish song full songs they've done. A handful of countryish songs they've done. But this one is like it's a league of its own as far as just like unique qualities musically and then appropriately TMBG, you know, dark as fuck lyrics. <laughs> Should we hear the second live performance? Yeah, the second live performance is I'm excited about it. It's a great one. Yeah, let's jump forward uh, three and a half years from March 96 to October 23rd, 1999. I mean, Team G was a very different band from 96 to 99, member-wise, right? So let's, let's listen to that. Call out the Undertaker. Call out the police. say it's backing track again really am i nuts am i nuts i don't know maybe this one's not as convincing and maybe the first one wasn't either but this one is a slightly clearer recording as far as bootleg uh quality goes yeah maybe not this one this one would be uh now we're talking about dan hickey i think i okay i think it's real drums i think it's dan hickey and weinkoff would have been in the band by now miller would have been in the band uh, we're talking about the Band of Dance era. And Linnell has ditched the accordion for uh, his keyboard. What are your thoughts on this uh, this this live version? I, I like it a lot. Flansburg messes up the uh, I loved him ambivalently line, which is going to be... He just fumbles it. it just, yeah. It's a mouthful. Yeah. I like the accordion. I mean, I think yeah. this version is maybe a little uh, stronger. Uh, I mean, obviously, the first one was the debut the debuts are always a little wobbly, and that's why I love, love I love listening to them. You know, it humanizes our dear Johns. This one's a stronger, more confident performance, but I, I I miss the accordion. Yeah. Also, bring that fiddle along on tour. Why not? Just for the one song. Sure, it's small. <laughs> It'll fit. It's like counterfeit faker. You can just squeeze it right in there. Oh yeah, it's a durable instrument. Just throw it in the back of the van. No case. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, yeah, we've been going for a while. Is there anything that – I don't want to brush over anything that you were wanting to talk about, but we could get to the cover section if you're ready. I, I'm I'm so excited about the cover section, Greg. 
Okay. All right. Yeah, let's not worry about the interpretations tab on this one because I think we've talked about it in our own words enough. I think usually the interpretations tab is best for a laugh. Oftentimes there, there, there's a good, you know, take oh, that sure. might influence the conversation on an episode. But uh, in this case, uh, I think we got it. Let's 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 move along. It's about that. It's about that cousin that's dead to him. <laughs> I don't know. That's <laughs> that's that's my to wrap that up uh, on my end. Okay, so in this email, I said, can't find any covers for counterfeit fake. Not too surprising. Maybe I'll do one live on air. I was debating about grabbing one of my tiny keyboards from the 80s and, you know, just like hit and play with the drum machines and doing it with the time as it is, you know. And then counterfeit faker doesn't seem to have any either, except the one you willed into existence, which I think we should save for last. Yes. So I'm not even going to say what that is yet. And that Daryl Till, Astral B, had told me he was going to try to kick one out, and I was waiting for that. So in this initial email, it just had three files attached, the two live ones, and then the Live Like Pigs, a thingamajig, but no covers. Okay, so then throughout the course of today, today. which is May 26th that we are recording this, okay, let me make sure I'm getting this 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 timeline here. It was, it was quite a day of, of just every once in a while getting a new cover sent to me personally. Okay, so then, so I sent this to you, as promised, at 6.53 a.m. <laughs> I had told you, like, oh, you'll get it before 7 a.m. 6.53, before I uh, hopped in the shower to head to my last day of the school year, sent this to you. And then, okay, so then at 4.52 p.m., the covers crew came through. Here's two more, one from Daryl Till, Ashraby, and one from Joel Shaughnessy a.k.a. Homework Party. Which one should we play first? Let's do Homework Party first. Homework Party! All right, Joel. Kicking ass in the covers crew. Always coming through for me. Counterfeit Faker by Joel Shaughnessy. Homework Party. Let's check it out.
thoughts? I really liked it. It's a very different direction with it. Uh, it it lost the countryness altogether, which is part of what originally drew me to, to the, the song. But this is great. And I tell you, on my phone when I downloaded it, it ended up right next to the alt version of Hearing Aid. And it just went perfect. It was per- <laughs> It was like this was on purpose. Wow, yeah. Yeah, just like the pure 80s, that like weird gated drum sound the drum machines had. And then, but then you get accordion too. So like the juxtaposition, the very, they might be giant type juxtaposition of pairing something like quote unquote futuristic sounding with an accordion. Uh, you know, the drum machine and the accordion together sounds very cool. Yeah. I love it. Harmonies and all that. I mean, he kicked that out. I mean, if, let me bring up the Facebook thread of the covers crew because this is where the action was really playing out. Uh, let's see. Uh, so shortly before I sent you the email, 6.32 a.m. this morning, though we are currently into Friday. So I guess we should say we were recording this May 25th and now it's May 26th. 6.32 a.m. Anyone coming through for me on Counterfeit Fake or Faker for tonight? I have one cover. It's great. And again, I mentioned who it is. And we'll get to that. And I dropped it in there for the covers crew to hear. Uh, let's see. And then Joel comes in at 1 p.m. Okay, so this shows you how quickly he made this cover. At 1 p.m. Eastern Time. When do you need it by? 8 p.m. tonight. And he says... Oh, okay, cool. I thought you needed it quickly. (laughs) (laughs) So, 1 p.m. He's like, when do you need it? And then before 5 p.m., it was in my drive folder. We will get back to Joel, because that's not the last we're going to hear from him in this cover section. Let's listen to Astro B. So, this one's coming from Across the Pond. Now, uh, we're going to get an Englishman's take on some country counterfeit faker and counterfeit fake it's a mashup y'all it's a medley check it out
thoughts, Brian? Well, when I saw that there was an Astro B cover, I imagine it's going to be a country piano cover. He's going to do one of his piano covers. It's going to be great. Instead, totally the other direction. Very electronic. Very interesting. Very great. Huge fan of Daryl Till. Again, he is one of the veterans of the cover section. I mean, he was fueling the cover sections of this podcast for a long time. A long time. Him, you know, the original power crew, the, the you know, the Carrie Hearns, the Daryl Tills. Uh, and then along came Noah Daniel. And then just like, man, now we got these new guys coming on the scene. Joel, come roaring up. But I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to get a Daryl cover on here because especially a custom one yeah. because he's, he's a busy guy. He's also in a way different time zone. He is part of the covers crew, but is not part of the Facebook thread because he kept getting woken up by <laughs> Facebook <laughs> notifications. Like, you can you, turn you those can turn off. That off. Yeah, that's what I told him. He's like, ah, <laughs> he's got kids, you know, he's got a job. He's done. He's in a different country. He, he gets all the stuff uh, individually, the recording schedule, Etc. And so I'm so glad to have another Daryl song on here. Also, how do you th- how do you like that smooth transition from the uh, the faker to fake? I'm so glad that he did. And I mean, I you know, it when you first suggested that we do both of these songs, it was like it is kind of a coincidence that they have a similar name. That's worth noting. But the more I've thought about it, and the more I've listened to them together, I think they belong together. Yeah, they were you know separated by years, but brought together through uh you know just disgusted another human being <laughs> <laughs> yeah disgusted possibly reagan and then disgusted a relative of some kind so i sent you that email at 452 then at 807 p.m which we had our time difference confusion i was already on a google meet call waiting for you to, to hop on and i get from <laughs> bryce hurst it goes by this, the 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 stage name uh, Mobius Boulevard on compilations has been on the Purple to Pay compilation, as well as Daryl Till, of course. Uh, Joel has not been on one yet, but we'll be on this next one. So Mobius Boulevard, Bryce Hurst, he said, "Okay, let me." Okay. Oh, I also forgot to say what Joel said when he submitted. Oh, he actually he uploaded it at three thirty. So he so Joel Joel's uh, counterfeit faker there from one one oh seven. He had it uploaded for me by 3.30. Uh, and he said, I'm not going to say it's great, but I ain't going to say it ain't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then we've got, uh, scroll down a little bit. Oh, crap. I didn't see you on a counterfeit fake two. One hour left. And I said, haha, no, I'm calling Brian now. <laughs> I said, dude, yours is great. And he said, sorry to fail you. So I thought I didn't have any counterfeit fakes, just fakers. I said, Daryl did a medley. So we got both technically, right? Glory McElhenney, Carmen Sparkle says, sorry to fail you, says the guy who churned out a whole song in a few hours. <laughs> <laughs> and then Bryce here. Bryce, uh, this is right along in the thread here at right around eight, says, just uploaded a quickie fake made with a phone app and a text-to-speech robot. Without further ado, here's Bryce Hurst with counterfeits fake. <laughs>
Hey, hey, counterfeit fake, history wants you, they made a mistake. Hey, hey, counterfeit fake, history wants you, they made a mistake. Hey, hey, counterfeit fake, history wants you, they made a mistake. Hey, hey, counterfeit fake, history wants you, they made a mistake. Thoughts. This is what we thought the future was going to be like in 1983. <laughs> this is it. We finally arrived. This is this is the AI taking over and recording covers on our behalf. Uh, it's great. It's perfect. <laughs> I mean, I all the covers. How great of a crew do I have here? This is amazing, and these are all all these covers are are fabulous. They're all going to stay on my phone because I picked this song because I love it, and these are all fabulous. I love that symptom. Yeah. Doing that little bass line that's there. Uh, and the, the robotic voice is just, it's perfect. Like, there's many different kinds of robotic voices, but somehow this, this is the right one. It's the right one. It's, uh, it's an angry one. Somehow. <laughs> yeah, right? It's some kind of angry. <laughs> this is an angry monotone. Uh, <laughs> okay. And then in the time uh, between us, when I thought it was going to start, when you thought it was going to start, and pushed it back in, in 90 minutes or whatever. So, oh, Bryce also said, <laughs> yeah, Joel said, got to add an AI bot to the covers crew. And then Bryce said, I mean, I made it with my authentic human voice. This is just, it's a fun crowd here. So then Joel chimes back in. Homework party. Okay, I did it. I didn't listen. To- <laughs> I didn't listen to the original. <laughs> I guess he means not like recently. He just started cranking it out. I didn't listen to the original, and I think I messed up the part at the end. To which Gloria replied, creative license. We are both hearing this for the first time. We're just hearing this now on air because he sent it to us while we were already, you know, we're getting on the call. So uh, let's let's both check this out. I'm dropping in for the folks, too. wants you they made a mistake hey hey counterfeit fake history wants you they made a mistake hey hey counterfeit fake history wants you they made a mistake I found the instrumentation just adorable and fun. The lyrical delivery sounds so much different to me than the original. The original sounds like angry and mocking and annoyed. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one's like, just letting you know. Yeah. Hey, counterfeit fake. Casual. History wants you. They made a mistake. <laughs> just tap you on the shoulder. Hey. Yeah. It's like somebody coming up backstage to say, you're on next. You know. Uh, one of Joel's strong suits is, I mean, not just speed <laughs> of covers. But just like the little synthesized surprises, drum machine, uh, also samples. I mean, you heard the Planet of the Apes episode where he took the Tom Sharpling, (laughs) the best show clips, and put them into a fucked up version. Yep. 
He's a very creative guy. In this case, that's got to be a reference. The the, the drum fill has got to be a reference to Rhythm Section Wanted, right? (laughs) Got to be, right? I think that you are right. Yeah. And I mean, it's great because it's just that kind of like if you're on a keyboard where like the, you know, like, oh, the the E key is the snare and the, you know, the C key is the, the, the kick drum or something. If you're just going like two fingers down a keyboard, it's like just that like go to fill that is just uh, hilarious sounding will never not be cool and hilarious somehow at the same time. And it's great in here. And that has that little like breakdown and then a little, like a little extra haze. You know, it goes almost a full minute. Incredible. Joel, homework party. Joel, homework party. Shaughnessy, I can't believe the covers crew just like came through in the clutch. Like yeah. buzzer beaters co- covers here. Just incredible. Thank you guys so much. I, I feel like by choosing this song, I brought these into existence and I'm yeah. a God. Yeah. I am a golden God. Uh, <laughs> and, and now we get to your most goldenest, godliest of moments. Cleanliness is godliness, and God is empty, just like me. We are getting to uh, uh, someone who also came up around the time of Smashing Pumpkins, but on a much cooler, smaller scale. You need to tell us. uh, Yeah, I'm going to let you introduce this one, because this was actually the first cover. The first cover, the one that we thought might be the only cover. I'm like, maybe we'll get Daryl's cover, but this might have been the only cover, and honestly, it would have been enough. But Covers Crew came through in the clutch. The cover that you rounded up and completely like blindsided me with. Uh, tell me about the process here and uh, who we're talking about. Uh, sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, most of my favorite musicians are named John. John, <laughs> Snog- jo- John Linnell, John Flansburg, Johnny Cash, Jonathan Richmond, Daniel Johnston, <laughs> Joe Jack Falcom, and John Snodgrass of Armchair Martian and Drag the River and Scorpios, and he's done an album, done two albums with Frank Turner. Oh. Uh, he did an EP with uh, Joey Cape. Yep, that one I knew about. Anything Lagwagon related, I knew about. There was a split with Bad Astronaut yeah. that Armchair Martian did. Yeah, which is maybe my favorite EP ever. Oh, it's up there with the one Drag the River did with the Dents. It's hard to say. Just I love split EPs, and I love John Snodgrass. I talked earlier about, you know, getting into country music when I was a little bit older, like 18, 19, 20, and it was really John Snodgrass that did that. Uh, His band Drag the River had just started at the time. I was living in Fort Collins, Colorado, along with him and uh, the folks from the band All, which is the Descendants. At the time, it was Chad Price Price as lead singer, who was also in Drag the River. And I just figured maybe if I uh, I had a way of I I buy stuff from John Snodgrass on Discogs all the time, <laughs> and so I reached out to him. Oh, direct and, from him? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so I I reached out explaining uh, you know this podcast and what we were doing, and asked if he might be interested. I thought that you know maybe I could get ten minutes of his time with a a cell phone and a guitar. <laughs> And the next thing I hear was, it's recorded, it's being mixed. <laughs> it's being mixed, which means someone other than yeah, him is mixing it. Yeah, somebody else is mixing it. Which means it's like, you're talking like, he put some time into it. Yeah, he definitely put some time into it. He sent it to me shortly later. Everybody should love John Snodgrass. Yeah. Uh, his newest solo album is Tace. Uh, there's a song on it 
uh, that Stacy D from Bad Cop, Bad Cop sings backup. Oh, cool. Called The Name Has Fallen Out of My Head. Um, see if I can find it real quick. But it's in the same vein as, as Counterfeit Faker. It's very much Bad New Lands is the name of the song. Okay. Encouraging you to leave town and hoping that you have all sorts of trouble on your way out. So uh, it's a great song. Let's play the cover now before I really just keep going. Call out the undertaker. Call out the police. so good man the the mandolin to me to me it kind of sounds like early 90s rem covering the song like something about that mandolin set like uh um losing my religion type vibe that that i mean i love early rem i love all rem uh so this is definitely definitely a a, a compliment it i mean god the arrangement is incredible and just like it takes this song to a completely different place while still staying, you know, in the country realm, country folky uh, realm, but going from the kind of like fake country, kind of knowingly, uh, intentionally fake country of, you know, John Linnell, you know, hacking away at a fiddle and, and a banjo to like accomplished country. You know, I mean, it's great. I want to make sure to give credit credit is due john snodgrass is on vocals and guitar luke zacharol plays mandolin and fiddle and it was mixed by casey kress like not only did you pull together uh a cover with a, a famous dude but like he recruited other people to help like he took this very seriously like yeah okay how long did it take for this all to come together like from you asking to uh, it, it happening. It was a couple of days of me not hearing anything to it's recorded. It's being mixed. And then a day or two later, I think I got the file. 
Incredible. He's a good guy. Yeah. And he's a sweetheart. Yeah, so you gave me his email as well uh, with his blessing to contact him. So, of course, I hit him up like immediately and realized I need to be listening to Scorpios. That, that one I never heard. You know, Drag the River I was I was at least somewhat familiar with uh, an Armchair Martian even more so. Oh, which I should mention, actually, before I read this email from him. One of the greatest shows I've ever seen. Like, I've already talked about Team G, The Hives. In 1997, August 29th, 1997, I remember the date of this show because it was my 16th birthday, at a barn, a literal barn in Willowbrook, Illinois. Kind of a south suburb. Um, Like, there were horses, like, in a field and it's the barn. There's a stage in the barn. Like I imagine they mostly ped or at least used to have like square dances there or something. I don't know. I'm going to go with hoedowns. And it's actually a venue I had played as well. I'm not sure if it was before or after the hoedowns. Uh, but so the bill was, get this, it just seems totally unreal to me now. Armchair Martian, I believe, opened. Actually, may, maybe Limp opened. If you remember the band Limp. Great. Honest Don's band. Not Limp Biscuit. Fucking no. Limp. Definitely not Limp. Okay, so it was Limp, Armchair Martian, No Use for Name, and Lagwagon on one bill. Like, yeah. unbelievable. It's like when you look back at guys with like their 80s hardcore flyers and you're like, those bands all played on the same show? Like, what? Like, this is like that for me. Do you remember how much you paid to get into this barn? I want to say 14 or 15 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So 1997. So, I mean, like, Lagwagon, they were touring on, uh, you know, Let's Talk About Feelings, which is still yeah. probably considered, you know, their best album. It's not my favorite. I'd go, I'd go Haas. But let, Let's Talk About Feelings is amazing. But it was a big album. Big album. Yeah, the biggest album, for sure. The reason it has completely stuck with me, not just the lineup, but the barn, uh, believe it or not, did not have a backstage area. It did not have a green room. So we just saw the members of the band just walking around. Or, like, they'd be behind the merch table, or they're just, like, hanging out. Like, it was a fairly big barn. Like, um, I mean, barns are usually pretty big. I met some of the guys from Lagwagon. I don't know if I met Joey Cape, but at some point, my friends, best dudes, found, uh, I believe it was Jesse, their bass player. Uh, no longer their bass player, unfortunately. But Jesse, uh, their bass player at the time, they told him that it was my birthday. Like, I wasn't there. They told him it was my birthday. I was somewhere else. I was taking a piss, whatever. And Joey Cape wished me a happy 16th birthday from the stage. And it was like, this This is six-year-old me, uh, six-inch spiked blue mohawk, Greg, just like fucking like blew my mind. Like I was there like, because there was, there was also no pit. There was probably no security. I mean, not no pit. No, uh, like kind of like channel, like moat between this crowd and the stage. We were right up against the stage. I was maybe like eight feet away from Joey Cape. And he's like, it's Greg out there. I'm like, I'm right here. Happy birthday. We're twice as old as you. <laughs> and to them, they're probably like, we're old guys. But like, what, you're 32? Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so old. Yeah, remember when 32 was old, Greg? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So that was my introduction to Armchair Martian. That was the first time I ever heard them. Yeah, well, and I, I think this story illustrates part of the reason that Joey Cape is a great rock star. And I think, and... Part of the reason I love John Snodgrass so much is they always seem like they're having a good time. They do. They seem like they're having so much fun on stage and they make you want to have fun. And quite frankly, John always seems like he's having fun off stage too. Well, he's a good guy to be around. I love that he's mixing it up with fans on Discogs, you know, the spreading the love with records. One of my favorite visuals is Joey Cape uh, jump roping with the microphone cable. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he did it at that show. I remember seeing him do it with 
lag wagon it's some warp tour or something but like he's he's a short fellow he's a short fellow he makes that known you know and uh compared to you know chris standing next to him like he was fucking giant <sighs> i don't like tall people um but just like they're taking the microphone cable it's just jumping rope with it there's something just so playful and hilarious about that at a punk rock show to be just jumping rope <laughs> Joey Cave, one of my favorite. I mean, as far as punk rock goes, my favorite frontman. I'm just gonna go ahead and say that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, John Snodgrass. Thank you. You have to be specific. All the Johns. John Snodgrass. Thank you so much, and to the the other two folks that you mentioned for putting this together, and and Brian for pulling this together. It's just like incredible. Because now I'm talking to him over email, and you know, I told him how much I love this, and I kind of pitched the idea of the covers compilation, the charity compilation that we're doing um, to raise money for Sandy Hook Promise. And I mentioned this show. He said, "He said I'm gl- glad you liked it, and I remember that tour well." He said it was the Haas Making Friends tour, but I'm pretty sure because it was definitely '97 because I was 16. This is this is like there's no doubt. I'm thinking that maybe it was the the let's talk about feelings making friends tour. That would have made more sense. So Haas was '94. Double Platinum was even between that. Yeah, it was definitely not Haas. Unless they were already touring on them as old records. <laughs> this is the fourth anniversary of Haas coming out. Okay, so wait, we got all the covers, right? I didn't miss anything? No, we're good. We did all the covers. Oh, my God. Like, I can't believe the cover section ended up being, like, 20 minutes long. Like, that was going to be one cover. Yeah. That was going to be no covers, and then you sent me one. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, we ha- got a high-profile cover, and now... Thanks to the covers crew, we got some kick-ass opening acts <laughs> to that cover. Well, and when I picked this song, you know, two years ago, this is, I mean, it's still obscure, but it was so much more obscure before it was get, Long Tall Weekend was getting re- reissued today as we record. You know, yeah. who would have guessed? What a strange world. My life is different. You have a new child since then. That's right. Yeah, 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 she, yeah she was, yeah, she's going to be two. And yeah, so she was born a few months after you. Uh, I'll, I'll use that as my excuse for that. Yeah, never <laughs> sorry, go. I sure. forgot everything. I had an infant keeping me up. Uh, the pandemic still isn't over. We didn't. We didn't see that one coming. We thought we'd get some shots, and that'd be the end of that. Oh yeah, we're done. We're in the post-pandemic world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Any, anywho, it's time to score the song. These All songs. All right, let's score some songs. We gotta score a couple of songs. L- let's let's go back and forth here. So let's first you you score counterfeit fake, and I'll score it, and then we'll do faker. So what are you going to score? Uh, zero to ten for counterfeit fake. History wants you to make a mistake. I think uh, counterfeit fake is great. I love it a lot. I'm so happy that it exists and we have it in a high quality version. That being said, in the world of all the They Might Be Giants songs, 5.6, I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I knew exactly where the <laughs> where you were setting up for it. I, yeah, same. That exists. It's like I said, it was, I never skipped it to me. Like, I wasn't going to say, like, oh, it's as great as Don't Let's Start or whatever. Well, I guess it was on the second disc. Oh, it's as great as Purple Toupee. It's as great as, yeah. you know, whatever. But, like, it is, knowing the trivia, it is it is a song that is, like, kind of important in its own way to They Might Be Giants history because Flansburg bought his first drum machine 
and made this song with it. Like, that's super cool. I mean, heck, you know, the duo era kicking off, you know, Drum Machine played a little bit of a, you know, a part in that era of the band. So him learning how to use Dr. Rhythm, like, by making this song, pretty cool. Uh, as far as, like, listenability, and am I going to put it on someone's mix? Like, hey, you want to know what the Giant sounds like? This song. Probably not. I might put it on a mix if I had 36 <laughs> seconds left. <laughs> right. Uh, what did you give it? Five? 5.6. 5.6. Yeah. You know, that feels about right. Do I put it above Unearth My Nina is the question, because that's... <laughs> You you didn't like Unearth My Nina at all, incorrectly. I but. <laughs> but I mean, when we did the Planet of the Apes stuff, I mean, beneath the Planet of the Apes, I gave it 2.5. So like the, the low numbers, like that, that kind of skewed all of that with Conquest of the Planet of the Apes getting a 4.5, a whopping 4.5. Yeah, Unearth My Nina is a song, again, that's important in the history of Thunderbird. The amazing song, like it plays a part into that, and it's cool. Like the story, that was a fun episode to do. I should have Steve Pence back on, like that dude, <laughs> the only opera singer I've ever, <laughs> professional opera singer I've ever talked to before, who's worked on uh, is sung John Williams music in front of John Williams. Uh, I think I'm gonna go a similar score. I'm gonna go. Uh, uh, 5.9? I All don't right. know. 5.9. Okay, so counterfeit faker. What are you giving that? I, I think we're going to switch here, and I think I'll end up going above you on this one. I love this song. That's why I chose it. It's not a masterpiece, but it's a great John Flansburg song, and I'm going to say 8.8. 8.8. Yeah, that is high. Yeah, Long Tall Weekend, again, like all the songs on this kind of had an uphill battle for me because of me hearing it later and really not even digesting it until much later. And like I said, Reprehensible, perhaps my favorite off of that album. Certain people I could name, I mean, of course, a great one. I mean, as far as Flansburg songs go on, uh, like Reprehensible for sure. Like, love that song. Love the Mellotron. Love the, just the whole swing vibe. That's another thing he doesn't do a whole lot anymore is like jazzy numbers. Yeah. You know, what the hell, Flans? Come on. It's like you find your own style or something. What the hell? <laughs> I love the little genre experiments. So you went 8.8. Yeah, I'm definitely not going that high. Oh, what did I give Reprehensible? Let's, you know, now that I'm thinking about it. Reprehensible. I went 7.8 on that one. So I think I'm going to go uh, for this. I'm going to go, I'm going to go 7.5. I'm going to go 7.5. And, and you know, you listen to the pod. That's a good score for me. That's a good score. I'm, yeah. I'm. I'm uh-huh. satisfied. Huh? It's just below Bird of the Bee of the Month. But should we score Live Like Pigs? Oh, my God. I think we have to. Jeez, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. What do you uh, give it a spoken introduction track? What do you think? 0.72. <laughs> 0. 0.72. Wow. I mean, it's fun. I got some enjoyment out of it. Yeah. But it's, you know, there have to be some... <laughs> There have to be something below one, and oh, this yeah. is it. Yeah, yeah, Okay. I'm going to give it a one. I'm going to go straight up one. Yeah, you know, you're right, though. Like, what would be a zero if this isn't a zero? I mean, I think maybe a zero would be a live track that was mangled and also recorded from a bathroom stall. With sure. A kick, with a, that could be a zero. Yeah. All right. I'll, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'll stick with one, then. 
I'll find something to give a point something to. <laughs> you know, it's it's below all the Planet of the Apes ones. <laughs> one. <laughs> I give it a one. Well, that's the number of times you need to listen to it as a They Might Be Giants fan. Pretty much, yeah. I listened to it twice, so it's, yeah. it's, it got an extra play. What do you want to tell the people about uh your return to stand-up comedy no i don't you know oh, okay <laughs> i'm not really online you can't really find me i mean you could but i don't know why you'd bother i'm around the uh the the they might be giants facebook group when i want something <laughs> <laughs> he only comes around when he wants something well but sometimes i want to give a ticket away or you know that's a thing that i want sometimes but yeah go seek out john snodgrass's stuff he he's a real he's a real gem for uh helping me out with this got loads of stuff on Bandcamp. go to discogs and buy stuff from wolfsman which is his discogs name wolfsman uh, but yeah buy stuff directly from the artist it's uh it's a beautiful world that we live in yeah that, yeah that really is a cool thing that uh you got to meet him through discogs i think that's the first time i've heard about that happening as far as someone you're you're a fan of meeting them on discogs Maybe I should give that a try. Maybe that's, you know, maybe next time I'm trying to search out, like, oh, I found this person's name of Giants fan. I could look up their management or <laughs> I could buy something for them on Discogs. Uh, man. Okay. People can find, I mean, people know where to find. Fuck it. Fuck the outro. We're done. Uh, this, <laughs> this, uh, it was great. So, th- yeah, thanks again, Ryan. That was awesome. And uh, why don't you pick another song to do? Not in two years. Maybe, you know, in 2024. Okay. Thanks so much for all this work you do. Thanks for staying up. I, I apologize to your family. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> They've all been asleep for a long time. You're doing Floyd's work. <laughs> How Did This Not Get Made is a podcast all about the films and TV shows that never got made. In this podcast, we uncover the history of these intellectual properties and walk you through the plot of these unmade scripts to determine if they would have been great or awful. Here's just a few other titles that we've covered. The Beatles' Lord of the Rings, James Cameron's Spider-Man, Guillermo del Toro's Haunted Mansion, Star Wars' Duel of the Fates, Superman Lives starring Nicolas Cage, James Gunn's R-rated Scooby-Doo, and Alejandro Jodorowsky's Dune, just to name a few. Episodes of How Did This Not Get Made can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hey, counterfeit fake. History wants you, they made a mistake. Hey.